Welcome to the 214th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Lokin. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I often talk about classic comic book story arcs from yesterday, yesteryear, whatever. Sometimes, like this past week, I talk about older movies, like not recent, like current in theaters or just you know just released. Uh, last week, I talked about 2013, uh, what Evil Dead, <laughs> the the kind of reboot movie. I was very resistant to watching it. I finally, it was while we were in lockdown during the pandemic. I I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna watch it, and I you can hear what I thought about it, and you can hear about the movie. And uh, this coming week will probably be another movie, another one that um, kind of bizarrely I, I haven't seen for for whatever reason. But there's it's there's a reason that I just finally decided to watch it now. But you can hear about that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanformheck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanformheck. Okay, I know I say this like every week. <laughs> There's not a lot of news this week. It's kind of weird. I'm not sure what, what what the deal is, unless I missed a bunch. Maybe because a bunch of news came out like last weekend uh, with all that Netflix stuff, and not that that's like a big part of it. But anyways, just uh, moving forward, uh, Black Widow news. Scarlett Johansson and Disney, they've uh, settled the lawsuit over the release of Black Widow. And, you know, so the, the story was basically Scarlett Johansson said that Disney was in breach of contract because the contract said it was going to be releasing in theaters. And then they decided to release it in theaters and on Disney Plus Premiere. So there was some extra income involved. But then, you know, you, you have to do like years of, of analytics or whatever to look at, you know. Where was the profit? Did she get any to profit or did that extra 30 bucks that whatever many households paid, you know, did that go straight to Disney versus, you know, to whoever was supposed to get a, a piece of the box office? And and it, it got a little ugly, you know, because then they're saying, oh, you know, she's not being sensitive to the you know, state of the pandemic and stuff like that. But that's not what it was about. You know, it's it's uh, and it's really good that she stood up for herself, you know, and it, it it almost seems like if it would have been a dude in a situation that they wouldn't have tried to, you know, it's like, was there so, any sort of intimidation trying to, you know, make her feel bad or make her look bad? Or I, I don't know. I mean, you have so many people involved and lawyers and money people and, you know, it's it's all a business. So everyone's, you know, looking out for themselves and trying to maximize their own profits. So it's it's totally understandable. But it does kind of feel like because of this, you know, Shang-Chi was exclusive to theaters and it did really well. So I would imagine if it that was available on Disney Plus that it may not have, would have, maybe it wouldn't have done as well. And, you know, there's, there's also the other fact that, you know, Black Widow was supposedly like one of the top pirated movies of the summer or whatever. And that makes sense. You know, you, you release it at home. I don't know how 
I mean, I'm sure actually, I don't really know. I don't really care how you could record, you know, make a bootleg, but I'm sure if it's streaming, it's a lot easier. You know, there, there are ways to do it. So that that's unfortunate. And I know a lot, I don't want to get on, on my soapbox about pirating, you know, and stuff like that. But I know a lot of people feel like, almost feel like they're entitled to it. Like, why should I have to pay? The reason you have to pay, if you sit through like those the five minutes of, of credits at the end of the movie, all those people working on a movie, all those people wanting to get paid, and, you know, some of those people not getting paid what they should be getting paid for the hours and the work that they put in, you know, it, it's all a matter of we we need these movies to be profitable so they, they keep making them. And that's what happens a lot of times. Movies aren't, you know, Suicide Squad, I saw a little bit about that, which I, I guess I can jump to that next if it just go out of order. Um, one thing I read about uh, Suicide Squad is like it wasn't, you know, super profitable Maybe there won't be a sequel, which would be unfortunate. So, you know, we need these movies to do well. And it's understandable if your theater is not open or if you don't feel safe, you know, yeah, don't go to the theater. You know, you, it's, your safety is, is the, the, the prime factor or whatever. So we'll see. But, but yeah, so the lawsuit was settled. Not, no information was disclosed, but it, it seems like everyone's happy with that. And that that's the important thing is so they both sides have said you know they're looking forward to working with each other again and you know the question i had was is scarlett johansson still going to be involved with producing the what's it the tower of terror (laughs) i was gonna say tower inferno that so she's supposed to be producing tower of terror for disney and um who knows if she's going to star or anything like that if it's just produced but i guess she's back on board with that which is good you know she's an amazing actor and I'm sure, you know, she's skilled with, you know, she's been in the industry for a while. So it, it's good that they can keep that relationship going because she was involved with the Marvel, with the MCU movies, you know, for a long time. So it's, it's great that they've settled things. Everyone's happy. I'm assuming everyone's happy. So we have that now speaking of the suicide squad. So the, where it is came out is Will Smith is apparently still willing to play Deadshot again. Because like when he found out, because when when Idris Elba was cast, everyone's like, oh, he's, you know, they're recasting Deadshot, and but then it turns out like no, they're not. Even though you know they're they're both have similar sort almost power abilities, they both have like daughters with like strained relationships or whatever. But no, they're not the same character. So when Will Smith find out about that, he I think he's like, oh, good, that means I I could you know come back someday. And the reason he didn't, I think there's like scheduling conflicts or whatever. So that's when they are like, let's, you know, create a different character and all that sort of thing. So we'll have to see what's the future for the Suicide Squad. Who knows? But hopefully we'll see it again. Because, I mean, I, I enjoyed that movie. So we'll have to see. Jumping back to MCU. So uh, Marvel exec Victoria Alonzo, uh, I think she's on a podcast. And the question came up like... The number of projects they're working on and she said something like that they have 31 current projects so like movies and tv shows so that's that's a lot <laughs> and and um that's good i know some people would be like that's too much i don't think it's too much and if you think it's too much you don't have to see it all you know speak with your your wallet or whatever and if you don't want to support these you know these movies keep doing well you know shang chi did well I'm assuming and hoping Eternals will do well. Uh, so, yeah, people people like this stuff. Uh, Sam Raimi, 
uh, you know, he's going to be doing, he's going to be directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He was a little hesitant at the beginning, which makes a lot of sense. You know, he he's talked about recently his experience from Spider-Man 3, and I think he said that this was like when the internet was really starting to take off and you know, people were really vocal about what they thought and how much they didn't like it and everything. And, you know, they were, they were letting him know that they didn't like it. And I, that's the other thing. I, I, oh, I'm always surprised when you see that when someone is being critical, you can be critical of things, you know, it's not like we always have to praise everything. And if there's something that you don't find appealing or whatever, you are welcome to state that. But when you, you know, single out the creators involved, that that doesn't seem like proper etiquette, whatever. It's like they don't need to hear. And if, if they want, you know, they, they can find it. They're going to hear about it. And, of course, you know, there's sales and, you know, if, if there's a landslide of negative reviews, they're going to hear about it. But you don't have to, like, you don't have to jump on Twitter and at reply a creator and say, you know, your comic book sucks. You're, you know, or this comic book by at so-and-so is no good. They, they don't need that. But but he, he, Sam Raimi just heard a lot. And there was, you know, there was a lot of conflict with, with the, the studio. You know, they supposedly wanted, they like forced Venom into the movie. I think that was it. He was, you know, doing Sandman. Or was it the other way around? Did he, they supposedly, you know, they, they crammed in, multiple villains because that seemed to be their things like oh we can't have just one villain we have to have like three villains per movie and then we're going to kill them all off which which is just just weird but so he's on board he's you know sounds like he's happy and excited so that is good star wars andor so the disney plus series just wrapped its uh first season they wrapped the filming for the first season so then they have to do add in all the effects and editing and all that stuff. So no release date on that, as far as I know. The Book of Boba Fett does have a release date, so that's going to be coming out on December 29th. So that's a uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I I like that they when they can turn these around in like a year. Now, unfortunately, with Mandalorian, we're not getting Mandalorian this year. Uh, you know, because probably a lot of people involved were involved with Boba Fett, and that's fine. You know, we 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 got two seasons of, of Mandalorian. You know year back to back so so that that's good i'm I'm fine with letting it let them catch their breath and you know make sure everything's flushed out and set ready for what they want to do so we'll see about that last week i i mentioned netflix acquiring the roll doll uh library and you know i was like and i i asked i was like what wasn't there a willy wonka prequel and what does this mean so yes there is a willy wonka prequel and it's going to be through Warner Brothers. So whether this was just a part of a deal that happened before the Netflix deal, maybe Willy Wonka is like an exception where it has different set of rights or I don't know. Um, and the only thing I totally forgot, it's Timothy Chalamet. I, I remember he, talking about it. He's going to be playing, you know, a younger Willy Wonka. So that's it's still happening. And they've added some other cast members, but they haven't said who who they're playing. But like Rowan Atkinson is going to be in there, so Mr. Bean, and you know these are other things. Olivia Coleman, who was in the show that I was trying to think of with David Tennant, Broadchurch, that was a that was a really good show that Jennifer Coleman was in. That that's what what it came up. It was Broadchurch. I think Broadchurch was a British version, 
and then it had a different name for the U.S. version, which also was David Tennant, but same story. Ending of the season was a little different, but but anyways, yeah. So Willy Wonka's uh, prequel is through through uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, Amazon, I guess, just finally greenlit the boys spinoff movie. I thought this was already happening. I thought they were already working on it, but apparently not. So they're they're doing the I forget what it's called, but it's it's basically like college for young soups and um, just seeing these young super powered college kids. Which uh, that sounds like it could be raunchy, maybe potentially. You know, we'll have to see what what they do. But it was funny they they kind of reference um, comparing the boys and this show, sort of how like Mork and Mindy, Mork and Mindy spun out of Happy Days. So hopefully you know what Mork and Mindy is or Happy Days. But they're saying you know use that as an example as how the tones are really different. And it is weird if you think about how Mork and Mindy was compared to uh, Happy Days, which my question, which I, I don't, I'm sure I must have thought about this before, because Happy Days like took place in the 50s, right? And Mork, I think was he in two episodes that he appeared twice where he talked to the Fonz? So Mork somehow appeared, you know, came to Earth in the 50s, but then Mork and Mindy, it was the 70s. I mean, unless it it was just like a reboot, you know, like rebooting Mork and it wasn't like a direct relation. So how does that work? I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's ever been mentioned. But I, here I'm talking about Mork and Mindy and probably, I'm, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately believing some people don't know what Mork and Mindy is. And But my question is, and I, I think I've asked this before, how come Mork and Mindy is not streaming anywhere? I would love to go back and watch these Mork and Mindy. Maybe they're not good. <laughs> Maybe they're they're not that that whatever. But I'd be I'd really like to see those again because I it's been so long and I can't remember them ever. Like I don't even know if they ever were in syndication. Maybe there wasn't enough. No, there must have been. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Munsters. We haven't had Munsters news in a while. So I think this is like might have been last week or the end of the week, whatever. Rob Zombie showed off. A bunch of exterior shots of the Munsters' house, Mockingbird Lane, and it's 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 cool to see this. You know, you, you see like the the skeletal buildup of the outside house, and you know you can see that you know parts of it's not not real or maybe it's not complete, but it's built in like an actual like neighborhood, and you know you, there's like roads and there's other houses and and you know carport or garage or whatever. I'm really curious to see what what this is going to be like. I'm I'm yeah I I'm looking forward to the Munsters movie, and I hope I, I don't know. See, I don't know if I wanted to be like completely true to the source or like just a little edgier, and, and we'll have to see what happens. And um, I think, like I said, so I think that's it for the news. So short news this week, like 15 minutes. All right, with comic books at image uh adventure man is, is back and uh so actually first one thing I, I should mention uh i don't know what happened this week i mean i got so backed up like trying to read comics i mean usually i finish comics right away like all the ones that i read i mean and i might miss one or two but this week i got i was like scrambling at the last minute so there's still some that i haven't had a chance to read and even with like all the the tv that i, I watch I didn't get a chance to watch as much as I, it's just, yeah, so it's just been crazy. But uh, Adventure Man is, is back. 
and it, it picks up, you know, so you're trying to remember where, where things left off. But now uh, our main character, Claire, she's um, being, you know, part of, you know, with the adventure man mantle and all that. And um, this is just you should you you should read the first uh first uh, trade or or the the, the first uh, four issues if you haven't already because if if you jump in here it might be a little hard to figure out what's going on but um it's matt fraction writing it and you know terry dotson rachel dotson i mean the, the art is great and so this has just been a really fun book and it's it's a little different and you know there's there's just there's a, a lot to to take in so um the, the like just the the layouts and the, the action i mean it's it's just really cool so you should check that out um crossover issue eight so this one i, I will admit i i started reading it and I, I i'm enjoying this comic i mean it's it's uh it's different and you know i, I keep saying from the beginning it's it's ambitious with the idea of the crossover and we've seen some some cool things and this one there there are see i don't want to i don't want to spoil it but there are some comic characters that make an appearance here as well and and you know you have to that's the the tricky part where this is supposed to be about like all comic book characters being able to cross over and everything like that but you know there's gonna be some characters that are gonna be harder to get permission to use but it, it, it's pretty cool here so it does pick up you know we had that kind of interlude the chip zadarsky issue which it was great but it's it's funny because this one's like sorry about you know the chip zadarsky but it was it was good so you should be reading this and you know it's, it's crazy to think we're in issue eight already so I'm, I'm really enjoying this you know i i was excited in the beginning and then i was kind of like okay where's this gonna go so i was kind of like just kind of like flat, flat my enthusiasm is a little little flatlining a bit you know not that i wasn't liking it but then now it, it's kind of amping up again so I, I i'm digging this um department of truth 13 this oh man this this series and this issue this this is like the the end of an arc and um it's just I, this is a comic that I, I think about sometimes and, and just the way it, it teeters around or dances around like the idea of this conspiracies and how like maybe conspiracies are made or, or things are just kind of fed and how they grow. And, and uh, so like the main character Cole, you know, there's been you know, stuff here and there about when he was a kid, you know, at a preschool, he had this vision of this, like this star faced dude or monster that was like eating babies at the preschool that he was at, you know, he had this vision. And, and so, you know, there's more on that. And, you know, is, was that real? Was it fake? And when these things like, how are they created? And are, are, it's almost like, you know, they're, they're given life and made to grow. And, and I know that, that, that sounds weird, especially if you haven't been reading it, but you should be reading it. And just the idea of like hidden government groups or, you know, groups within groups and, and who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. And, and it's almost like, is everything that we've known, you know, not the truth. And, you know, this is the department of truth. So there's just a lot of things that are just kind of like shaking the foundations of the ideas that have been built, you know, in the, in the, the past, 12 issues so this this comic just blows me away and the art is just it's it's so phenomenal i mean just really captures the mood so yeah this i i can't praise this book enough i mean you really should be reading this um good asian number five came out this is another one uh i didn't get a chance to read i am going to read it it's, it's the first issue of a new story arc i didn't realize this is a 10 issue um series or or whatever because now i see it's listed as issue five of ten i don't remember seeing that before so i'm, I'm not sure 
if that that changed or not. Um, and then you know, Spawn came out. I don't read Spawn. I, I want to read Spawn. I just feel like I feel like there's just so much going on uh, to try to catch up. Undiscovered Country 16 came out. I'm I'm behind on that as well. So I, I can't really speak on that. Someday I'm going to get caught up. I mean, I, I have like the issues and it's just a matter of, I don't know when I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking like with, with the, the, the sm- very small handful of comics that I didn't read this week. It's like, how am I going to, when am I going to read those and then start, you know, reading next week's. <laughs> I just don't know what's going on with my, my time. Uh, I don't, I don't, really, I don't think I mentioned it, but I had like parent conferences at school and you know, that, takes a lot of time after you know so i'm at school later and then yeah so that's my lame excuse but it's just been crazy and we got more conferences this week so yeah all that fun stuff um at boom studios berserker issue five came out and i'm i'm enjoying this you know like it's kind of similar with with this series where i with the first issue i was like oh this this is pretty cool and then i was just like where's this going you know what, what's happening and you know so you know berserker is this this dude looks like keanu reeves and you know he's been alive for thousands of years and you know he's kind of he's immortal basically is what it seems and you know is he a god how does he you know re- regenerate himself or you know reborn or whatever and uh, so, you know, these, these, this group, they're doing like tests on him. They're trying to figure out. And he's just, he's kind of tired with just the whole thing. And, you know, he's like this fierce warrior and everything like that. But having lived for so long, you know, he's just kind of immune to a lot of things. And just, you know, like in, in this issue, he's, he's talking to this doctor and he's talking about love. He's like, he, didn't, he doesn't do that anymore. And, and, you know, we see some flashbacks. Like we see like the first time uh, he fell in love. It didn't end well. And just like we get like hints of like other relationships that he's had over the years. And like at one point there's like, you know, this woman and then, you know, she gets old and that, you know, cause he's outliving everyone. So that's always the, the big thing about, you know, people was like, Oh, I want to live forever or, you know, what stuff like that. But then it's like anyone you get close to, eventually you're going to see them die and you're going to keep going. You would think, you know, after so many times, you're just going to become numb to that. And then you're not going to feel, you know, why would you want to get close to anyone if, you know, they're just going to be gone? And then as, as your lifespan grows, it's almost like a, like a wink of an eye. And that was one of the things, which I know I'm off topic now, but I thought that was one of the cool things in, in Thor and in, in Donny Cates' Thor, where he was talking to Captain America and he's saying how you know, the, the last, like when the time in between he sees them to him, it's, it's, it feels like it was so long. Like, so, you know, he, I think he said something like, you know, trying to remember the lunch that you had like, you know, two years ago or, or something, you know, it's like, there's, you know, what happened It's something, but it just feels like it was so long ago. Cause it's and time. I think that's how it went something like that. But anyways, I, I, I shouldn't, shouldn't dwell on that, but yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a weird thing the and then still, like, you know, with the tests that they're doing, you know, it's like, what are they trying to do? And there's still the whole what's the real motive here and, and everything like that. So I, I'm, I'm digging that. Uh, something is killing the children. Uh, this is another James Tynan. So James Tynan and Department of Truth, Something is Killing the Children. This is another great series. And I, I really like this current story arc, how it's, it's kind of gone back and show, it's, it's like showing us kind of like the origin of, of the main character, Erica, Erica Slaughter. And I'm, I'm really digging this. And, you know, we're going to get the House of Slaughter series coming up uh, this month. And I part of me almost feels like, you know, maybe we should have had 
this series for, or this story arc first, but I, I do kind of like and appreciate that you know we, we had the other one, and it's really cool to see because you know we're, we're seeing her as, as a girl and just you know the stuff that happened when her family was killed and you know with the, the, when she found out that these monsters were real and then how she had to go through this initiation and just like what the order is and what it means. And so there's just a lot of cool things that are explained in this, this arc. So that's why it almost feels like, would it have been better knowing all this stuff, which I, I guess not. I mean, I do like how the first arc, you know, what or whatever, how many, was it one arc or two, but I do like how that played out where, you know, we know that these, there's monsters, you know, killing these kids and she's trying to, you know, put a stop to it and all, you know, stuff like that. And, it's just we don't really know, you know. She's just so silent and everything like that. So it's like, what what is her story, and you know, how is she able to do all these things? So you know, there's there's a just a, a lot of cool things with that. And now we're finding out more, and it, it's so yeah, it's a roundabout way of storytelling. What I don't know what what it's not in media res, but it's just it's kind of neat where we're introduced to her. You know, we, we find out little things and then you know we, we start getting more information about you know the backstory and everything like that so I, I i think it's really cool and i'm really curious you know what it's going to be like when they go when this is adapted and you know how like what approach are they going to take are they going to start at the beginning or are they going to you know do it the same way so it'll be be cool to see that i'm really excited to see and I hope it. I hope it's it captures the essence of this because this has been been really good. At DC Comics, so we had Detective Comics, uh, one thousand forty three, and here, so so things are, are still still a mess. You know, we, we have all the stuff with the magistrates, and that's just a it, that's this kind of weird thing. How do so we got the mayor, and you know, things in Gotham are, are horrible. And so, you know, he's, he's signing off on this private security outfit, basically. And he's it's like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll fund this program and get these, like, armored security officers. And, you know, I, and some of them are, I think, are they, like, arm, or like, rope, like, not robots, but, you know, whatever. And it's, it's just weird to think. So then there's these curfews, and it's just like this police state, and... It, you, we we haven't really seen from the the people's perspective. Like, what are are, are they like okay with this? Because yeah, you know they voted the the mayor to do it as mayor, but to see how extreme things are getting, it, you know how many people are, are for this? And and there you know there was a protest. We saw saw like stuff happening with like the masks and you know whatever anti uh, like and by masks is like heroes vigilantes. So it's just weird how extreme things have gone and you know it's like all vigilantes are outlawed and and you you get these strict uh curfews and everything like that but then what happens here is the mayor is like someone's like after the mayor and it's 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 hard to say like what is actually happening because you know he he does have some non-magistrate or or whatever protectors uh guards and and the dude in charge, he's like, you know, how come he has like regular security, you know, outside his office and, and not theirs? So when he gets attacked, you know, someone tries to kill him because he was posing as one of the, like the, the security, you know, human security people. It almost feels like, you know, could this have been a track? It's like, see, 
if you had one of ours, you know, a non-human security robot thing or whatever, this wouldn't happen. And then it's also interesting, like, see, he gets, like, taken, abducted, you know, he's trying to escape, and Batman is is on scene, and, you know, he's trying to save him, even though this guy's, like, you know, anti-Batman and everything like that. So there's some some cool things here. And then uh, the backup story is more on, on Red Hood, and this kind of takes a turn. So this has been building things up, and um, so it, it, it's going to be dealing with this Task Force Z not really sure how I feel about that. It's it's an interesting concept and all. You know, there's been stuff with with Jason and there's this you know reporter that um, was introduced as sort of like uh, in the neighborhood of Bruce Wayne was as he moved into like the, the the brownstones in Gotham City as he moved away from the manor. So that this reporter's been trying to uncover the story and Batman's like been telling her to drop it. You know, he, he's. And here he's like, you know, there's there's some bad people, and if you expose them, it's gonna help them. You know, it's gonna you know make them hide and harder to find. You know, and it's gonna make his job harder. He's not gonna be able to stop them. But Jason's like also been working with this reporter and helping her and stuff like that. But what ends up happening, I won't go away to full detail, but he ends up getting captured because you know batman is on scene he's like we got to go and and you know they're like arguing whatever and then batman's like i can't save you from this and he ends up getting captured which is not a good thing and i'm I'm a little hesitant like what this it's the whole thing like getting captured and then when people if they find out he's jason todd and how that could be connected the repercussions with that is is dangerous and uh so my feelings like are they going to try to because at first i was like is it going to be like suicide squad is he getting captured and going to be put there but this is going to it almost looks like it's going to deal with whatever this task force z is so that could be um just as bad maybe if, if not worse so we'll have to see about that um i feel like i talked a long time about that issue uh action comics uh, 1035 so this is dealing more with with Superman and the idea of war war world. So you know he's um, there's that that power thing that you know he's trying to get because you know the Atlanteans wanted it and the people want it. You know humans want it, whatever. And and so you know Superman made us made a stand, but he's gonna be leaving Earth and you know to fight for all these other people. So. It just, I don't know how, how this feels. And the, the weird thing is, it's almost like how many times is Superman saying goodbye? Because, you know, it's just like in different issues he's saying, it, it's almost like, I don't know if, the, if, if I, it feels like I'm miss, either I'm missing something or the, the issues aren't fully lined up, but whatever. So the idea of him leaving and Connor, or Connor, uh, John is concerned because he's like you know i've been to the future so i know this is the time you leave earth and you don't come back you know he's gonna die is, is what you know he's he's thinking i'm not sure like what the idea is uh what, what dc is planning on doing because you know it looks like john is going to be stepping in to be become superman but then like what does this mean for the actual superman so i don't know uh, and then I don't read the backup. It's about Guardian or whatever. Uh, Justice League 68. In the aftermath of the big battle, you know, the Justice, the, the Hall of Justice was was damaged. And uh, this the alien dude that was after Superman, he's been captured. You know, they ended up putting him in, in the Phantom Zone. 
And then the United Nation of Planets are like, we want that device and stuff like that. And they're like, no, <laughs> you're not getting it. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of tension there. And then there's talk of rebuilding the, the Hall of Justice. And this is where, you know, I was getting a little concerned because uh, so many people are, are like, you know, maybe this is a chance to change things and do things differently. And, you know, instead of just, you know, this the same old, you know, design that they had before. So there's some some stuff about that, which I won't mention how that that happens and but what's weird here because then you know superman is here and so i guess this has taken place before because there's really no talk or hint of him leaving anytime soon and yeah so it'll it'll be hopefully everything once they finally make that to move him you know they they coordinate this and that's that's like the unfortunate thing because it's like then you can't use superman because it would just be kind of weird because it's not continuity and then you have to say oh this must have taken place before this issue and it's always it's to me it's it's always kind of a, a a bummer when you see that like you know let's say it's three months whatever and it's like oh this takes place before issue x and then you're like, then that must mean that these events, that nothing really big can come out of it because we would have seen that in somewhere in the, the however many months it's been, you know, it was, it was supposed to happen. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm making any sense with, with this stuff right now. And uh, then again, still the the backup story, I'm, I'm not reading to just I don't I don't know why I have such a hard time with Justice League Dark. It, there's just something about it, and I, I absolutely just cannot put my finger on it. Like like what the deal is? Uh, Super, Batman Superman issue twenty two. Uh, so this was oh, this was a weird issue. This was basically sort of like a Mister Mixias Pitalik issue and Calendar Man. So the two are teaming up. Mix Mixius Mixius Pitalik, which is how I say it. I think that's how you're supposed to say it, but I kind of doubt it sometimes. He uh, he yeah he he kind of seeks out Calendar Man and kind of gives him uh, a, like a power up, and it's just like basically he says like yeah you know because he loves numbers so much he's like you know and and boxes you know calendars and everything like that he's like yeah we're all in boxes you know and we can even number the panels and and calendar man's like and he's like he's digging that and then he he's shown that you know you could look like outside the boxes into the other panels and kind of see like what happened before what's gonna happen and so that puts calendar man at a huge advantage so it's like where is this going to go and how are they going to wrap this up and or you know is he going to know things that he shouldn't know for 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 now on so it it was a good it was it was a good issue and unfortunately it was it's the last issue in the series so yeah i mean i wasn't i i kind of i liked the idea of the last arc that we had and and the art was was great i mean it was really fun but it was just hard for me since I'm having such a hard time reading everything, but I, I, I hope like people were enjoying it and because, you know, it, it was, it was a fun story, but it was just not going to have any big repercussions for the characters because it's like, it was almost like an out of continuity. I mean, just the different versions of the characters we had. I mean, yeah. So it was, it was, it was weird, but it, it was good. Um, I didn't read Harley Quinn this week. I decided not to, to look at that. Um, Robin issue six is is really good. The the tournament is starting. You know, so Robin, Damian is in this uh, 
League of Lazarus tournament thing. And, you know, he's trying to find out some answers, like what's what's the deal? What's going on? Who is this other group that is like splintered off from like the League of Assassins or whatever? And, you know, what what's the the one leader has this book and Damien's like he wants to get this book and he wants to find out what's going on. But it's it's really cool seeing I, I and I, I, I probably say this every issue, but I, I love the fact that we have Rose uh, Ravager, Rose Wilson here. And she's and we also have like Connor Hawk is, is here and and. I, I I realize I don't really know a whole lot about Connor Hawk. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Think I ever read like his introduction, like his first, you know, appearance. And my impression is he was always kind of like he was raised to be sort of like like a Buddhist or you know like a monk or like just kind of violence isn't the answer type of thing. But here he's like on level. You know, he's a deadly fighter. So it, it's kinda, I don't yeah I don't really know much about his upbringing and where he came from and. And I, I, I love the fact that he's here now. And I'm also kind of wondering, it's like, well, what does this mean for the bigger picture? You know, has, do other people know about him? You know, since since sort of continuity has been adjusted, whatever, after uh, Death Metal. And uh, so I don't know who all knows about Connor. And, you know, who is, is he still? I don't know. Um, and hopefully we'll find out more. Cause, but I, this is, I'm really enjoying this series. Batman Reptilian issue four. This was kind of a bizarre issue. So, you know, there's this beast that's been like kind of attacking and killing people and stuff like that. And, you know, it's almost like people have been targeted and everything. And, you know, Batman now is looking into is like, what's the connection? Because, and when I first heard about this, I thought this was a story about Killer Croc, like Batman Killer Croc. But then you find out that, oh, this, this thing isn't Killer Croc, it's like some other um, creature thing. But then, this issue does feature Killer Croc. So it's like, you know, what is the connection between this thing and, and Killer Croc? And, and we get some answers and it's, it's almost, it's almost kind of, it's not, not that it's, it's funny or humorous, but like how things are kind of laid out is there's some hints of very small hints of humor. That's not like fully intentional. So it's just, it's kind of weird. And I, I'm not sure where this is going to go. So, but, but uh, Liam Sharp's art is just, it's just amazing how he just mixes things up. And, you know, if you compare to this, uh, some of his other stuff, it's like, he, it's almost like he's changing his style and just, you know, with all the, it's just, it's, it's really cool. Checkmate issue four. Um, this was a, a, an interesting issue. My main problem, which is, I I don't know if it's annoying to hear. I'm getting I'm getting tired of saying it, but it's a whole continuity issue here. It's like you know how does this fit in with the other you know because like you know Damien's here. How does this where, where does this take place? And I I know I just need to let go, but it just feels like continuity is is getting like less um, restrictive. And you know I know that's a good thing, good good in a way. But it's I you know I can't help but wonder is this taking place before or after the Robin series because you know Damien's here he's not you know off on on this island or whatever in this tournament trying to you know figure that out so he's here and then you know obviously Superman's and you know he's on the cover and you know he's involved and then there's also stuff with Lois Lane's brother and you know because he's also been in was he in this issue was he I thought he was in Justice League no maybe it's here. So we, we find out more, you know, other people see him. And, but the question is, you know, I wonder is like, how, how long is Lois known? Because I think apparently Superman 
isn't aware that Lois has a brother. So that seems, if, if I read that, if I, if I remember recalling correctly, that seems like, like a big deal. It's like, when, how long has Lois known? You know, because it feels like this is something that she would have might have just discovered. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if Superman knows or not. And because if he didn't and Lois is keeping this from him, that's kind of like a big deal. And then, yeah, you could say, well, you know, he kept the fact that he was, you know, Superman from her for years. But he did eventually tell her. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. And I, I still just don't like the idea that Sam Lane was killed. And is there the possibility that they faked his death, you know, being with all the you know government conspiracies and stuff like that? I mean, maybe. But I just, yeah, I'm not sure where that's going to go. Um, and then... I'm trying to remember what came out this week. So, okay, we had Superman's Son of Kal-El. See, it feels like I read this issue so long ago. I mean, it was, it was like it's over a week since I read it. Um, so there's there's more here. You know, some stuff stuff like, you know, about the goodbyes between Superman and and, and uh, Jonathan. He, Superman's still here, but, you know, he's... What, what's nice about this series is it's, you know, we're, we're seeing Jonathan kind of exploring, like, who he is and, like, you know, what what stance he's going to take on, on different things and you know there's like these these refugees that came and he's like really trying to stand up for them. you know they're, they're trying to leave this horrible country even though the leader is trying to say oh it's like oh no this is a paradise you know they shouldn't be leaving but it's almost like he doesn't want people to leave so it feels like it's leading into that you know this is gonna be like the big bad guys like whoever's you know this leader of this whatever country and and stuff like that and you know you can see on the cover Jonathan gets arrested, you know, again, because he, he's take, taking a stand. So, you know, that that's that's pretty cool for him. Superman 78 issue two. This is a so the first issue, Brainiac attacked and Superman was like barely defeated. the And it was Brainiac drones, you know, how there's we kind of have sort of like two different versions of Brainiac. We have kind of more to robot and there's the alien. So, you know, we're dealing with that. And. Superman needs some help trying to figure out like what are these things and you know how can we stop them and everything like that. So he goes to Lex Luthor, and we also discover like things aren't going so great for Lex. You know he he's like trying to get a job, and and, and you know he's going on an interview or whatever, and and yeah, they're they they offer him like this like kind of insulting job or whatever, and and. You know, he goes outside and he a car pulls you know, this big car. He's like, "Oh, it's a car for him," but then it just like splashes him, and you know, it's someone else's like car. This lady gets out, and so it seems like it seems risky. So Superman takes the uh, a Brainiac robot head to him to try to you know figure out like what is this thing? How can we stop it? But it's almost and he's like, "I'm trusting you, Lex," you know, because he vouched for him with the like the parole board and, and stuff. But it seems like it's it's kind of risky. And then Brainiac, you know, at, makes his way and he's telling everyone that, you know, he's a Kryptonian. And, you know, he's his, his concern is that he that Superman as a Kryptonian is going to pollute the the Earth population DNA or whatever. And, you know, then he's like, well, if, if you don't give yourself up, I'm going to, you know, destroy this planet to keep it from spreading. You know, so his logic and everything is just kind of weird. So, you know, Superman has to make a choice. And he's, of course, you know, he's going to say he'll, he'll surrender. And But it's like, what is that going to mean and everything? Batman versus Big B, a wolf in Gotham. This was um, this was OK for the first issue. 
it, it, my jeez, my my main problem here is like where does it, when is this supposed to take place? Because we have a Robin, and I'm still not sure what Robin it was because the costume was a little different. Because at first, I, I was like, wait, is this? Because it, it wasn't, it couldn't have been Damien. But then we see like Stephanie Brown in a Robin costume, and there was another. I think you you see you get see someone like wearing a hood, so it's like okay, that must be Damien. So it's like, is this supposed to be Dick Grayson or is this Jason Todd? Because uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I wasn't really clear on that. And you know, there's there's these killings that have been going around, and, and Bigby is kind of like checking things. There's like like a wolf attacks. So it's like, is Bigby killing all these people? It's like that doesn't make any sense. And and so yeah so it kind of sets up the story and then you know setting setting up the meeting between batman and, and big b and of course you know they're not going to get along at first so we'll have to see where that's going to go deathstroke issue one so or deathstroke inc uh, this is another uh series that this kind of weird and you know there's this new group called trust and we saw i forgot if it was like an infinity frontier or whatever one of the comics where black canary set things up you know she's trying to infiltrate this group and then she realizes that she's supposed to be working with deathstroke and she's just like you know oh heck no heck no <laughs> and uh so they're, they're kind of working together and but what we've seen in uh is it Ch checkmate you know because there's these other deathstrokes around so it's like what's the connection you know this is called deathstroke inc so who are these other deathstrokes like is there a connection here so here they're working together and, you know, they're trying to get some, you know, some, uh, they're trying to catch that, like the hive queen. And they're in this, this town. It's like, okay, is this, are there sleeper agents in this town? Because everything seems like really calm and like almost like too perfect. And uh, we are, we're also seeing that this organization has a lot of like Batman tech because they have um, the other toy man, the, the kid toy man. What's his, is his name? Hero? I forget what his name so you know he's building some some stuff for this group, which because at one point like Deathstroke's dri driving like some sort of Batmobile, like a version of Batmobile, and and I, I think Black Canary's like, are you doing this just so you can play with Batman's toys or whatever? And and uh, yeah, so at one point uh, Black Canary kind of talks to uh, Slade alone, you know, because they're trying to figure out like, okay, what's really going on, you know. Can they trust? Can they trust trust or whatever? So I, I I like the idea of this organization and just that the fact that we don't know everything that's going on and, and trying to see like what's what's happening. So I I'm I'm digging that. And then I feel like there was another. I'm I'm not seeing it in comicsology, but there was another Batman comic that came out. And when I read that, what was it even called? Was it? Dark. I can't even remember now because it's been so long, and because I'm, I'm a dope. But what through and with that, I mean, it, it was it was pretty good and everything. And then it's like, wait, Alfred's there, so it's like, okay, this is out of continuity, and it's just like, it just seems weird. And then you know, it gets it, it's confusing. It's like they're making all these books that are kind of not bound by continuity, and you know, that's a good thing in a way because then we, you know we can just tell good stories. But I'm just so used to how does all this tie together? And it just, 
it seems weird. You know, if, if you want to do that, you know, if it's if it's going to be an elsewhere or, or like a black label book and it's in its own little continuity, okay, that's that's fine. Um, just tell a really good story, and I won't worry about how this might affect you know other other characters or other books. And you know, you could just let loose. But it just seems weird when you just have like these random books that are you know there's there's no clear indication how it fits in, and then then it's just you know does its own thing. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. It's like, am I the only one that, that is bothered by this? So, but I mean, it is less constrictive in a way. It's just, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. And it's, I guess it's just, you know, years and years, you know, decades or whatever of worrying about continuity. So I know I need to let that go, but we'll see. Maybe I, someday I will. I'm trying to. At Marvel, we had Amazing Spider-Man 74. So this is a... Uh, the conclusion and and this was like i was like holy crap 80 82 page or you know 80 whatever plus comic i was like i don't need 80 pages when i'm trying to read everything but it, it wraps things up and uh you know so we we get more information it's it's kind of cool like the if, like the first page you know there's like this flashback so there's more stuff about uh harry and mephisto and you know the stuff that that Norman did, and then there's also uh, more about Norman and Gwen's supposed kids, because you know that that whole thing was uh, readdressed. Like, what's the truth behind that? And then the fact that Harry is dead, but then there's another Harry, so it's like you know there's the idea of clones, and you know just trying to you know who is kindred, and we find out more about that, and um, there's a yeah, and we, at the same time, we have like Mephisto and Doctor Strange. You know, they're they're you know Doctor Strange is trying to f- sort of fight or gamble. You know, the life of Peter, and you know, it's just like why, why is Mephisto so interested in, in Peter? And you know, like what's the deal? And uh, then you can't help but wonder. It's like well, okay, well, how is this gonna? We know Ben Riley's coming. So what what does this mean for Peter? You know, is is this gonna be? bad news or whatever but i won't spoil that even though i did see um uh, an artist spoiled something and and their instagram which they're entitled to it because you know they they drew it whatever i won't say who but then there's a a, a second story by christos gage and todd knock where peter peter's visiting uncle ben's grave and then he there's this other dude that he's that knew ben from the neighborhood and then peter's like wait i then he like kind of remembers him because you know he's talking about at first he's talking about like all the good things that Ben did and everything and how generous he was and and you know like sacrifices he made for others and and stuff like that and then Peter is like wait a minute and then you know it's like what does this mean it was, but it's, it's 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 like one of those like jeez oh, it's just it's like such a touching story and I I was like man this is just like forced manufactured touchiness and I fell for it I totally gobbled it up and it pulled at my heartstrings and all that. Then there's a like a a recap um, sort of comic by Sean Ryan and Gustavo Durante, and uh, it's 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 kind of funny. Then there's this this book uh, or just book this story Janine. This is by Zeb Wells, and this is uh, setting things up for uh, what's coming next because uh, we do see a certain familiar blonde character. That, that shows up in, in that. So 
you you should be reading that if, if you're interested in spider-man you know you're going to check that out black cat issue 10 so here there's more stuff about the infinity stones and um we have what's nighthawk i i'm not a big fan of his but he confronts felicia and so you know nighthawk that's his name right <laughs> but he still has memories of the heroes reborn the the recent heroes reborn not the the old heroes reborn thing but he has has memories from that world and so he basically wants infinity stones because he wants to change things back because he feels it was a better world that things you know maybe it was better for him and it might have been better for some people but he's really trying to make the choice for everyone because he, he feels that this is what what is best for everyone so he confronts felicia because they were I guess they were an item or they had hooked up. I think that it was more than just like a hookup or whatever. And, you know, he's like talking to her and, and she's like, I, I don't know anything about you or whatever, but he like knows all this stuff. And, and so she's like, what? And, and he's like trying to convince her, you know, that they should work together and, and stuff like that. And, and then there's one thing that she's like, wait. And, uh, yeah. So there's some other things. And then, uh, Nick Fury Jr., <laughs> Which it, I I feel like Nick Fury Jr. like his character is just so inconsistent, like over like from when he was first introduced when he was Marcus Johnson, in that whatever I forget what that that story arc was called compared to how he is now it almost feels like sometimes he's written kind of like uh, Nick Fury from the from the movies, but it's like that's not who this Nick Fury is, and it's like I I kind of I don't even know who Nick Fury Jr. is anymore. And I, I just feel like there's there's different things where like sometimes he's sort of his skills are amped up even more than they were. I don't know. So that's that's just something that that bothers me. Narcoc issue two. This uh this issue makes a, a decision about some things. I was like, wow, this is just issue two, and you're doing this already. But it's Kyle Higgins, of course. So you know he sometimes takes these bold risks and you know there there's there's always a, a nice payoff for that so I'm, I'm not worried about that but this new dark hawk you know it's this kid and uh you know he was going to be like a, a a college uh basketball player but then things kind of went south when uh, he was diagnosed with ms and you know so he's they're not going to honor scholarship or anything you know he's not gonna be able to play and because his body you know he's fighting his body now and everything like that but he also um came across the dark hawk a dark hawk um you know thing so you know he's turning into dark hawk and and he's fighting these local bad guys like the, and then it turns out what we found out spoiler that his like best friend is kind of involved with these bad guys it's like kind of like this criminal ring thing and uh yeah something happens this issue i was just like holy crap it's like did you just did that so yeah i don't want to say anything more about that dark hawk dark hold alpha um this is another one i'm trying to figure out where does this fit in so i feel like how marvel's doing like the dc thing where it's like is this in continuity or or is it not because scarlet witch is here and she was just killed in the pages of trial of magneto or play whatever and and yeah with the second issue i think only two issues of that came out where like something may have happened at the end but then it's like wait how is she here what does this mean is it is this tied to 
trial of Magneto, like what may happen after. So she's here and, and then Dr. Doom's here and a Victoria, I'm trying to, I totally, I can't even remember what happened between Dr. Doom and Victorious just a few, couple months ago, a few months ago when she and Dr. Doom were supposed to get married and then he got mad at her because he found out that she hooked up with Johnny Storm. But like here, you know, she's still his, his whatever, his, his, not his, not his protector, but his soldier, his whatever you want to call, I can't, can't even think of it, his herald type of thing. But yeah, so he's, he comes across like the true dark hole he's been searching at and Wanda becomes aware and it has to do with what's the name? Ch Chathan. And she, with this dark hole, this is different from the other dark holes, I guess, whatever, because like, if you read it, you go mad, you, you know, cause it's not just for anyone to read. And there, they have to, there, there's like uh, five people that can be, like protectors to battle Chathan or whatever. It's like, you know, the dreamer, the the fool, and, you know, whatever, a lot of stuff like that. So they kind of bring some people in. And, like, the dreamer is supposed to be, like, Tony Stark. And it's just like, wait, where? how does this fit in? There is mention of, of Patsy Walker. So it's like, okay, this could be in the same continuity as the current Iron Man. You know, maybe it's happening a little bit after because he has to come back to Earth. So I, I mean, it, this, yeah, uh, it was, it's an interesting story, but I, I I feel like it's not firmly in in the, the fold continuity. But whatever. So I, I mean, I'm going to see where it's going to go. Inferno issue one. Uh, so this is Jonathan Hickman, and uh, you know, there, so there's big things happening here, um, and it's kind of funny because like recently I was like I don't know if I ever mentioned a podcast, but I was kind of like where's Moira McTaggart? Because when we had the the when this all first started, the whole like House of X and what was the other one? I forget what the other. There's like the two X Men books that that like started this whole thing, but we found out like the this shocking truth about Moira McTaggart about how she's actually it's like this secret mutant or whatever and how she dies and then is kind of like reincarnated but she has all her memories from what happened before like the life that she lived so i think she's kind of in these if i remember correctly which which you know that's questionable these days uh i i feel i think like when she dies and she goes back to her like to her life and but she remembers what happened. So if she's lived five lives, she has those memories. So like when she first meets Charles Xavier, she already knows who he is type of thing. I think that's how it worked, right? So I was like, where the heck is she? What's been going on? And so we see her. And then there's also stuff with uh, Destiny. So Irene, you know, Mystique is, is like, when are we going to bring her back? Because, you know, she's dead. and Because, you know, they're were, they were a couple, I guess. They're, they're, they're together. And uh, but they've been kind of like dragging their their feet on bringing her back, and we find out that there's like kind of like a reason. There's just some people who've been like opposed to bringing her back, and uh, something pretty big. Yeah, is it pretty big? I guess. I mean, I think it's kind of kind of big for for the story. Like happens at the end, so it's like, whoa, what does this mean? And this this throws like a huge monkey wrench into the plans of some people. So I have no idea where that that's gonna go, but um, it, it's it's definitely interesting. And it you know this is listed. It says the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X Men begins here. 
So I don't know if this is wrapping things up. I don't know. Miles Morales, Spider-Man issue 30. I don't like his new costume. It just, and I, I know maybe we just got to give it a chance. It just seems weird. You know, he's wearing this big baggy jacket and, and, you know, just the, the bright pink seems weird. You know, I, I, I sometimes say the, the red and blue is weird. You know, so much red, it's, it's so bright. And that's what I really liked about the black because, you know, you can hide in the shadows more even though there's a, there's a white, big white spider on, it, on his chest. But with this, it's just, you know, you got this big baggy costume. And at one point, you know, there, there's um, he's fighting this, like, someone, like this mandroid armor or something like that. And, you know, he's dodging these blasts. And I was like, man, it's like day one of his new costume. It's going to get, like, torn or you know right away because it's so loose so it's like easier to get hit or burned or singed or whatever and then it's also the fact like the bottom or, or the top of the jacket where it's like he pulls it up over to his lower face so he has this mask because i think it's a he's wearing like a regular mask but then the jacket pulls it it's kind of like wasn't there like a bazooka joe character or whatever he was wearing like a turtleneck that was like pulled up over his face I can't remember his name. I think it was Bazooka Joe. But it's almost like that. And that doesn't seem like that's going to, that would stay. Because it's almost like, you know, you turn your head, maybe, or you look up, it's going to, like, pull down. And then you're, you know, if you're trying to keep it up, you're going to have to constantly be pulling at it. And it's just, it also seems like he's just going to get really warm if, if it's, like, summertime. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, I know it's just silly things. It's it's nice to have you know mix things up once in a while, but then there's also because it's the 30th anniversary. There's another story that's supposed to be like in the, the near future, and he's kind of back to more like his regular costume. So it's like, are you just straight up telling us that yeah, this isn't gonna last? I don't know. So this was just a fine issue, and there's more about what's her name? Is it Starling, uh, the 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 girl that he um, who is like the vulture's granddaughter or something like that. So um, more about them. Nonstop Spider-Man. This I guess this is the last issue. Uh, I just kind of was flipping through this, and something about the story. I, I I wanted to like this, you know, because Joe Kelly and Chris Boccolo, but there's just something with the story. It just felt weird. It didn't really feel like Spider-Man, and you know that's fine. This is another one that's you know it should just be built like as a separate you know black label book or you know something out of continuity. Because there's just some some weird things, but yeah, I'm trying to remember how how this ended. Because I like I said, I just flipped through it to see what what happened at the end. But um, that's it's just weird. It's like how come this this didn't pick up? You know, like how come? And I I guess it's if we're gonna have Spider Man, it almost seems it feels like that they're saying okay, we're not gonna try to do like a second Spider Man book. Because like when we had Friendly Neighborhood of Spider Man, it wasn't like Tom Taylor writing that when it came back. Because Peter David did one. I think Tom Taylor wrote one recently and that was a good series but then it like it ends and it, it feels like i don't know if there's just not support like you know consumer support market support for these other spider-man books but i loved when we had spider-man and then peter parker's the spectacular spider-man or we had amazing spider-man and that and we, then we had you know Todd McFarlane spider-man so i i thought they were all good but I guess it kind of makes sense. It's like, hey, we're going to do Amazing Spider-Man and just have it come out more than once a month. I mean, it's it's good because it's all tighter continuity, but then the bad thing is people have to commit to three versus, you know, you have to commit to buying instead of buying it once a month or twice a month. Now you're buying it three times a month versus you could read Amazing Spider-Man and you could 
either read or not read Spectacular Spider-Man, and you'd be okay. There might be a crossover once in a while, but they're usually kind of just running concurrently. So now by putting it all in one, you're forced to... And and for me, that's fine, but I, I can see how that might be a concern for others. Um, Sword Issue 8. This is really weird because I feel like... I mean, maybe because I've just been kind of reading here or there, but I feel like the swords, it's been... It's been like all over the place, you know, because there's a lot of stuff with with Abigail Brand and, you know, her just whole sword organization. But like last issue was dealing with the last annihilation stuff. This one has nothing to do with with any of that. Nothing with the the sword organization. Um, Storm goes to um, Araco. So it goes to the Mars and is like fighting like the. She's like challenged by someone in the inner circle of Araco or whatever and. I mean, it's it's cool because it shows how fierce Storm can be, and because like at one point her powers are are taken away with spoiler, and uh, I, we all know you know because this person's like I took your powers you you are helpless now and you know if you're reading this everyone reading is like uh, no she's not so there's some cool things but it's it's like yeah it's just I wasn't really sure where it's going uh, Star Wars issue seventeen so this is still continuing the War to Bounty Hunter stuff. Uh, Leia, Lando, Chewie, and Chewbacca, and Lobot, they're, they're, they're trying to get uh, Han Solo's body, this frozen carbonite. Darth Vader came and, and claimed it for himself, even though it was stolen from Boba Fett. And, you know, there was a big auction, and but, but, but Darth Vader's like, I'm going to take it. So it's on an Imperial shuttle. It's been kind of uh, incapacitated, you know. It was, it was kind of sh- the powers were shorted out, but and the Millennium Falcons like after them, but their their powers like shorted out too. So they're trying to get to save Han before it boards a Star Destroyer, Darth Vader Star Destroyer, whatever. And then now some huts are approaching because you know they, it's probably Jabba wants wants Han back, and Luke basically led Darth Vader away to lure, or lured him away. So Darth Vader is like after um, Luke. So, you know, there's a little confrontation with them. And, you know, Luke's, because at first he's like, I'm not ready to face him. But, you know, then they're just like going after each other and stuff like that. So there's some some cool things here. Uh, Thor issue 17. Um, so this is, I. this is where I started. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to read all these before I, because I, I have to record now. So I started reading this, and I do want to read this. Um, this is the epic finale of Revelations, and um, there's some stuff with Thor, you know, Thor and Odin, and then Freya, his mom, and Angela are there. But what was interesting, and this is why, you know, as I'm skimming through this, so I can, you know, see what's going on. There's talk, you know, they're, they're uh, kind of questioning Thor's rule, and at one point, Angela's like, you know, if if you're not gonna clean up this mess you know because asgard's like at risk of being like split you know different factions or whatever that you know she's going to take the rule because she's saying you know because i believe she's older than thor right so i think she was trying to say that like by right if she wanted to she could like call him out and you know claim the throne and he's like what you know you can't and so that would be interesting to see you know thor versus angela like who would come out on top and then, like as they're they're going uh, dealing with all this, because you know there's something going on with Thor, and you know Mjolnir's kind of not fully working for him, because you know there are some points where, and it's like, is he like, 
in danger of not being worthy again? Is there something else going on? But uh, Mjolnir was on with the Avengers, and then uh, Captain America calls him, and he's like, "Hey," which is like it's some crazy phone service. I don't know where it was, but he's you know something something is going on with Mjolnir. So I have to see about that next week. And then uh, Winter Guard issue two came out, so I didn't get a chance to read that. And uh, Wolverine 16 also came out, so I haven't read those. So I can't speak on those. And I'll try to remember next week and if, if you know, bring them up. But I, I am going to read those um, as soon as I can. But that is going to be comic books for the week. All right, Why the Last Man? It was, it was a good episode this week. And, you know, thinking about this, we're at episode five now. You know, we're, we're moving along and trying to figure, you know, I don't know if we're really getting anywhere and I, I don't mean that in a bad way because I'm totally digging the show but I'm looking at the grand scheme of things and I don't know since I haven't read read the comics in, in so long or the books I don't know like what their game plan is like are they trying to get through like one trade paperback uh, you know per season or whatever so we're, we're picking away little bits and I mean I guess some things are happening but it's almost like it seems like it's going a little slow and that's not a bad thing. What is their commitment? You know, if, if they can make this show, you know, if they got the actors locked in and, and can get show commitment, then yes, don't rush through it by any means. But so I don't know. I just was thinking about that. Like right before I started talking about this. And so we'll, we'll see. So this episode, um, one Oh five manhunt, and that's man with, with two ends. Cause that's the, the geneticist that, 355 and and York are trying to go to to find out like what can they do you know what what why is York still alive and and, and so forth so it starts off with 355 and York riding through Boston on a, on a motorcycle York's wondering what Doctor Man will be like and he's just he's constantly talking and you know it, it's kind of funny because you know 355 is just like you know she doesn't talk. So then, uh, then they're like walking around, and he has like his mask up. So she finally like, she's like, "Can you put your mask down, please?" It's and it's like, you're walking around. It's like it's such a risk. Um, which, which I'll I'll try to get to something in later if hopefully I'll remember. I don't want to mention it right here, but. Um, then this, this car drives by with like a, a loudspeaker and then there's like you can hear like gunfire in a distance and this like army you know hummer humvee whatever drives by and there's like a, a you know a soldier at the top with you know at the, at the gun and everything like that so new york's like you know that's a lot of security you know and it drives to like this barbed wire fence like area and everything like that so 355 is going to go like check it out and she probably has to like force him to sit down you know so she can go look and everything like that she's like you need to stay like right here and she gives him a knife and and you know and then again she's like put your mask down you know she has to tell him like a second time so 355 walks up to the front and she identifies herself as military and and she kind of she kind of asserts her power you know and she's kind of like like just making up whatever and she starts getting testy with the private she's like you know i had a long day because she's like why aren't you in uniform and she's like i had a long day she's like are you gonna let me in or do i need to talk to your superior private and you know stuff like that so it's she like lets her in, which is and she just like walks up there. So it was like it was like that easy. York is as he's sitting here, he's looking at graffiti and like on the walls. There's a bunch of stuff like written and everything. It's like you know, sexism didn't die with the plague. And there's pictures of his mom, that's like with liar on his face. So I guess some people aren't happy that she's the president, and you know, people think that the government is hiding stuff. You know. Because they're like, why, why did this happen? You know, was this like some virus? And you know how this, this stuff just happens. It builds up. He gets up 
and then he breaks into like the building he was sitting against. And so even though she told him to stay there, he has like a lock pick. So he, I guess, he knows how to pick locks, and he, which kind of makes sense, you know, being a, a whatever magician or escape artist. So I'm trying to think. So he he goes inside. Um, 355 talks to this other soldier and she's asking about Dr. Mann and, you know, she sees that they have like a lot of tear gas and stuff. So I think this is outside of Harvard. I think that's where they were going. They have like all this stuff and everything like that. And, you know, she saw that there's like a bunch of protesters and, you know, complaining, you know, around the building and stuff like that. And 355 is like, you know, why not just let them have the building? You know, what's so special about Harvard? And the soldiers like, you know, research, priceless art, history. She's like, you know, someone in Washington wants to protect themselves or something like that. So she tells 355, she's, you know, she's looking at the clipboard. She's like, you know, Dr. Mann's not on my list. And then 355 is like, well, then I'm going to need access to her lab. And the soldier's like, the labs were the first place that they got. And she's like, if Dr. Mann was there, you know, inside, she's gone too. So Yorick, we see, is like in this printing place. You know, there's like some posters and stuff up. And then he sees some other stuff. And almost, I, I wonder, because there's like some clocks and wires maybe and like some gas. It's like, are they making bombs or and stuff? like? And then someone finds him and just like, you know, she's like, what are you doing here or whatever? And she asks if she's friendly. And, you know, he's like not talking because you know, he's, he's going along with it. He's mute that he can't talk. Some others come in and because they were being attacked with tear gas so you know their, their eyes are burning and stuff like that so you know they're trying to like wash out their eyes and everything and the one tells me she's like you know can you make yourself useful and stuff like that to like help out and he still has his mask down and all that so they you know wash out the eyes and stuff like that then the other ones leave but then one lady she asks or she thanks york for helping and she's like you know if you need a place to stay you know you, you know we i can help you and stuff like that and and then she's like and my my brother has testosterone if she needs it so this is what I was going to get at before. The difference about the show and in the comic, there's a lot more people who are transitioning, who are taking testosterone and all that, So, which is why we could have some, you know, male actors or transition or, you know, transgender actors or anything like that. And this works in York's favor because they can look at him and rather than like freak out, it's like, there's a dude, all the dudes are dead. So they just automatically assume that he's transgender, that he's transitioning and that. And I, I really hope I'm using the, the proper terminology and all that. It's, it's great that the, the show is acknowledging that, it's including that, you know, all this stuff. But it also makes things just a little bit easier because even if he's wearing a gas mask, you know, you can kind of see from the face and maybe even like the body type. He's wearing like a like a poncho or like a cloak or whatever you want to call it. That that's like one one change from the comic. And I don't I don't think that was in the comic. But like I said, it's it's been a while since I've read it. So then he you know takes off his mask because you know, she like gave him a soda or something like that. And then um, he he I think he he writes. Did he write it down? I don't think he even said anything. He said that he's like with a friend or something like that. And he must be talking here. Now I'm thinking back. Because then she like sees his, his carrier and he said that he, he rescued it from a lab. Because she's like, I forget what she asked. Anyways, so 355 rushes back to the spot. And why he came out there, good for, you know, thankfully for him. And then she's like, we got to move right away. And she's like, where's my knife? And he's like, oh, I lost it. She doesn't even ask. You know, he's supposed to be sitting there this whole time. So it would almost be like, like, how the heck did you you know, lose this or whatever. So she tells him like the, you know, the whole science center is gone. So, you know, they, they need to, you know, get out of there. Then his mom is in the meeting. They're, they're talking about plans. I move like secretary Oliver. Um, so it's Regina from Israel, you know, bring her back or whatever. 
And uh, so his the president says that when Regina arrives, she'll be greeted with decorum. They're going to welcome her home. Then at some point, they'll tell her how thankful they are that she's alive, how much they look forward to her joining them in a senior position of some kind. And they're like, you know, no, no, no. She's like, don't say some kind. You know, they need to be, they don't want to like promise her too much. They want to just like, we need to be specific and, and stuff like that. And, you know, someone's like, you know, it's, it's like, why didn't the Israelis, Israelis keep her, you know, because... They, they know that, you know, she's going to be a problem. 355 is checking out Dr. Mann's place. You know, they're, they're there at her apartment, whatever. It doesn't look like she's been there in a while because, you know, York's kind of looking around like a coffee cup. It's like dried up, you know, remnants of coffee at the bottom. I think there's like some strawberries, that like mold and, and stuff like that. And, and then um, he sees like an empty, there's like an empty crib there. So, there, and she's like, there's nothing in her file about a kid. And then they they she they find some pictures of like a union club of Boston this place so they're like okay let's go over there because there's a lot of pictures so it must be a place that she liked because I think there's a picture of her when she was a kid there they head over there York's like trying to you know pick the lock whatever then she's like you have ten seconds to open that and he's like whatever then she ends up shooting it it was like that's such such a waste of bullets they go inside they're searching and then they go upstairs and they notice there's like a lantern lit in a room and there's a fire in a fireplace. So, but there's like, doesn't seem to be anyone around. He wants to let Ampersand out to give him a break, whatever. Then this woman comes at him from behind with a knife and there's a struggle and everything like that. Then 355 realizes that it's her. And she's like, it's like, you have right, with the, the, the lady. So it's Dr. Man. She's like, you have a white chromosome, don't you? Or something like that. 355 says that, you know, they're under, they're there on behalf of the president. And then, uh, yeah, ampersand's like you know screeching you know he's like freaking out and everything and so dr man's like you know put that thing away you know and york's like he has a name and she's caught off she's like he she's caught off guard and she's like there's two of you and she's like were you together when it happened because she's like you know the, the the y chromosome alone is meaningless but you know if both of you together so 355 tells her you can get her stuff together and they'll set her up or whatever and she's like no and they're like what and she's like oh no thank you and she's like, I'm, I'm going to San Francisco. And she's going on, you know, she lost 15 years of research, of, you know, for work and everything like that. And 355 says that, well, you know, now you have two subjects, you know, two whatever. And man's like, you know, all the equipment I need is in San Francisco. And, you know, she's mentioned she was working on some illegal stuff like human cloning, all stuff like that. And she basically kind of gives an ultimatum or whatever. And she's like, you know, it's the only place that she can go or whatever. And then uh, someone, I think she notices that Y is bleeding, you know, from her tax. So 355 is like sewing up his back, whatever. And then it's, they're like, well, how are you going to get to San Francisco? And she's like, I was going to walk so from Boston to San Francisco. And she's like, well, you know, maybe now, you know, you get the presence to send a plane. And 355 is like, nope. And she's like, you know, he's classified. She's like, there's crazies out there. And man's like, yeah, because people believe the government is hiding things. And, you know, they, there's a proof, you know, they are hiding stuff. So 355 is going to leave or she, you know, she tells York to stay there or whatever. She leaves the room and, you know, cause I guess she left her bag like downstairs and she looks in there, grabs the sat phone out, but it turns out the antenna is busted. So she tells York that she's going to go find a new one and she'll call his mom and she'll be back like within a couple hours. And he's not really crazy about being left there with her. And he's like saying some stuff and she kind of overhears it. So it's like, it makes it a little more awkward. More people are talking to the president. They want her to have a press conference about like what they're doing and stuff like that. But she's like, who's going to watch it? She's like, no one has power. Then uh, this, the, the general lady, she's like, uh, they found one, maybe two of the helicopters. 
and the president's worried about York because, you know, they crashed. So she's worried that the, is York alive? Did he crash? Because she hasn't heard from them. But she has to, like, hide it. She has to, like, put on, like, a, you know, you know regular, you know, cold face or whatever. And, uh, you know, so she, like, grabs Christine, her aide's, like, hand on her table. And she's like, um, are, are there any survivors? You know, just trying to be nonchalant about it or whatever. And uh, the general's like, well, you know, it's hard to say at this point, but with all the fuel it's most likely that, that anyone would be dead. So oh, Kimberly was in the room too. I don't know why she's there, but whatever. Cause you know, just cause her dad was a president or whatever. So then she's in a bathroom and she bumps her purse off the counter and a bunch of stuff spills out. And there's like crayons and, and kids stuff in there, like game pieces, you know, whatever. I don't know what the deal is. Cause when she talked to, uh, who was it? Was it, or when she talked to the president's wife or something like that, she, took like she like stole a box of crayons like well well she wasn't looking so i don't know why because she doesn't have you know her her boys are dead and she doesn't have any kids so i don't know if there's something with that because there's like all this stuff on, on the on the floor so she's been you know she's on the floor she's starting to pick them up and then christine like walks in and just like looks at her and it's just like she's kind of you know it's almost like what the heck are you doing or whatever so she's just kind of like walks like oh past her around her and goes in into a stall Kimberly's like talking to her. It's like, you don't talk to someone when they're in a cell. And, you know, she's saying like, oh, you know, the, the president must have sent those pilots looking for hero, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, if, if I had a kid out there, I'd do anything. And she's like, well, except, you know, now we're down a helicopter. You know, that's bad. And then she says, you know, Christine, like, if you knew about it, and Christine, you know, for instance, she's like, can you blackmail me another time? And she's like, well, I'm not blackmailing you, whatever. And then she, like, looks back and she sees Christine's, like, wiping the floor. And there's, like, blood on, on, her, on the, like, toilet paper and everything. So then, then she goes, opens the, the, she didn't even lock the stall. She, like, opens it. And, you know, there's, there's like, this blood. Christine's like, I think I'm having a miscarriage. So Kimberly's like, oh, my, you know, and she's like, she actually, which is nice. She actually like helps her out, which unless she has some sort of like, you know, hidden agenda, but she like, you know, takes off her scarf and everything. She's like, you know, cause there's blood and Christine's legs and everything like that. And, and, and she's like, just trying to help her out. And then, uh, then Christine's like at, talking to a doctor or a nurse or whatever doctor. And she's like doing like an ultrasound or whatever. And she's like, how far were you? And she, Christine's like, I don't know. She's like 10 weeks maybe. And, and Kimberly's in there too, which is like, why is she there? Then Christine uh, tells her, you know, she's like, she looks at, at Kimberly. She's like, I don't want anyone to know about this. And then uh, the doctor's like, wait, there's a flutter. She's like, you didn't lose the baby, whatever. It was, it was just a scare. And she's like looking, she's like, oh, it looks like it's closer to 12 weeks. And then Kimberly asks, she's like, is it a boy? And the doctor's like, you know, well, we need to do a blood test to be sure. But, you know, it's pretty safe to say that she's having a girl. And then the, the doc turns on like a, the heartbeat machine. So you're and she starts tearing up. She's like, oh, you know, excuse me. I'm sorry. She's like, you know, there's just been so much death. You know, this is great. And Christine looks like she doesn't really know how to take the news. So I'm not sure what what this because she had a boyfriend, right? Wasn't she the one like out in the streets? She was picking up the dry cleaning and then all the rats came. So I don't know what this means. Like maybe she was having an affair with someone, but not that it matters now because unfortunately the father's dead. But, you know, there, there's definitely something going on there that, you know, she doesn't want anyone to know that she was pregnant, that she had a miscarriage. But now when she hears, she's not like overjoyed to hear the heartbeat. I don't know. 355 rides her, her bike to this like brick house, like out in the woods. 
she has like the address um, written down on a piece of paper and you know it it kind of looks like a, a nice house and everything but the the windows are all boarded up and you know she's looking around she climbs up to like the second floor or whatever goes through a window and she's going through the house it looks like it's empty but then she hears like a floorboard creak so she takes out her gun then uh, she goes in this room this lady kind of gets a drop on her she has a gun too and she tells her to drop it they start fighting and uh, you know the 355 gets a gets a gun, but then the lady pulls out a knife. There's more fighting. Then they both get their guns or pointing them at each other. Then the lady's like, "We're both here for the same thing. She's not here." And she's like, "You know, I've I've been in this house for three weeks." And and she like takes out the the, the gun cartridge, the bullets from her gun, and puts it down. And she's like, "I'm 525." And 355 says, "Well, I'm 355." So they they figured it. You know, they must have been recruited around the same time. And then 525 is like, ask 355. <laughs> she's like, how'd you get the address? And she's like, you know, Fran, I don't know, so this is who it must be there to see. Fran said that I was the only one who would know it. It was supposed to be our secret. And, and 525 is like, did she tell you that too? Uh, but 355 doesn't answer. 525 says she was in the middle of an op in Michigan, you know, doing years of recon. They pulled her out and they said that they were going to send her to State Department. They were going to brief her. And, and then it happened on her first day on the job. You know, the, 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 all, all the dudes died. And 355, she's like, I was in Oklahoma. She's like, they pulled me out and sent me to the Pentagon. And it happened on the first day. So like, that's a hell of a coincidence. So 525, she's finally found some weapons after looking around the house. I think, I don't know if they're in the attic or hidden somewhere. And uh, then she's like, she didn't leave a tracer. So probably talking about this Fran lady. And she's like, you know, she doesn't want to be found, not by us. 355 is like, well, I'll find her. And 525 asks her, you know, she's like, where did she find you? It was like foster care, you know, juvie. She's like, you know, we were all chosen because we didn't have anyone. And 355 is like, that's not true. So, I don't, but she doesn't really answer like where, how she was recruited or whatever. Then she asks 525, she said, well, what would you do if you find her? And 525 is like, I'll put a bullet between her eyes and then I'll live my life like a person for the first time ever. And she tells 355, she's like, you should do the same thing. Yorick and Dr. Mann are talking. There's like a pool table and, and they're drinking because I guess there's like Chardonnay in this place or whatever. And he asked her, she likes teaching. And she's like, no, she's like, it's exhausting. And she's like, and I have to be around young people, which I don't, I don't like. And he's like, well, you know, my girlfriend, she's a PhD candidate. She loves teaching, whatever. And he's like, I'm a teacher too. And he's like, magic. <laughs> and, and she's just like looking at him. He's like, you know, card tricks, escape artistry, sleight of hand. And she's just like, I, I'm not really sure what, she's like flabbergasted. I'm not really sure what her reaction was. You know, so she's just like, that is not even the same thing. You know, she's just so like surprised. Then um, she asks if 355 is always going off on secret missions without telling him. He's like, yeah. And then uh, she makes a comment about, so they, they, they're talking about something. And she says somehow he's not reproductively attractive. Kind of like, like, oh, don't worry about it. And she also, I think she said, I think she said she was gay. And then she's like, yeah, and you know, men can re reproduce past 40, but should they? And he's like, I'm only 27. And she's like, wow, you look older. And he's like, well, thank you for pointing that out, whatever. She's like, it's been a rough, you know, couple months or whatever. So the president is getting dressed and uh, she's still trying to deal with the fact that York might be dead. So Christine comes in and the president, so she's like, they, they said they'd call when they got the Boston. It was like, why haven't they called? Christine's trying to reassure her. She's like, they've identified the bodies from the crash. And a general read confirmed that, you know, the, the, the bodies and there was nothing mentioned about Yorick. So she feels a little better. Then the president asked Christine if she thinks like, you know, do you think she could have killed those pilots? You know, she did say she would take care of them. And, you know, did, did, did she think I wanted this? 
she wants Christine to find out everything about this culper ring, whatever. And the president asks Christine if Christine's fine because she seems, and then she's like, I'm fine. So she can tell that, you know, she's dealing with something, but, you know, she doesn't want to say anything. Regina arrives and she's, you know, being um, pushed in a wheelchair and, and she has like a cap on and sunglasses. You can just see she has this attitude and the president comes in and then, you know, there's all these people in the hall and then she starts, you know, they all start clapping and everything like that. And she's like, we're so glad you're home. So Christine uh, walks to her room and then Kimberly uh, talks to Regina and, you know, she's like, I'm just down the hall if you need anything. And she says, you know, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye. And Regina's like, you are on a view and you call me strident, which so, you know, she was loud and harsh or whatever. And Kimberly's like, oh, none of that matters now. Then Regina, you know, stands up out of her wheelchair and it kind of surprises Kimberly. So, you know, she's in better condition than I guess she let on. And then she, you know, goes up to her and she's like, you know, how do I get my hands on some decent hair dye? Which I guess, you know, she's implying that, you know, Kimberly's hair is dyed or whatever. And Kimberly's like, well, I could ask the ladies downstairs. You know, I think they use a the drugstore stuff. And Regina's like, I haven't dyed my hair since I was a teenager. You know, and she's almost like saying it like it's beneath her. And Kimberly's like, well, it's not that hard. She's like, I'd be happy to help. And, you know, Regina's like, you know, your, your father won in a landslide and they're still socialists in charge. And Kimberly's like, yeah, but you're here now. And she's like, you know, people are going to have to pick sides. She's like, you have friends here. Then uh, the president walks in and then uh, Kimberly's like, oh, it's just, that's fine. I was just leaving. So when they're alone, the president's like, you know, I figured we should talk. And Regina's like, like, yeah, I bet. And the president's like, you know, we'll be working to get, you know, we all work together here. It's all hands on deck. And Regina's like, yeah, as long as you're in charge, right? So you can, there's a little bit of confrontation, but they haven't really addressed, like, the fact that she's in power, but she hasn't been around, you know, whatever. So Yorick and Matt, Dr. Mann are talking about babies. And she's saying stuff about, like, how they're, Babies are, are grow with inter, inter, internal testicles and stuff like that, and that you know not all men are men at birth or you know something like that. They're drinking and stuff like that. Then he brings up the crib. She's like, and you made an assumption. She's like, I don't have a kid, and she's going on. He's like, I just asked because you seem sad, and she's like, I seem sad. She's like, look around you. You understand how effed up this place is, right? And she's so she wants to figure him out and fix what they lost. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not just talking about men. She's like, not everyone with a white chromosome was a man. And she's like, we lost so many that day, you know. And she's like, and it's not just us, you know. It's mon monkeys and giraffes and you know all this stuff like that. And she's like, I don't envy you. It's like, you know, you won't have much of a life from now on, will you? And then uh, then she's just like, kind of like sits down or whatever. 355 arrives and she's like, we got to go. And she's like, oh, so he's like, we got to go. We got to go. And why asked, she's like, did you talk to my mom? And 355 is like, uh, I did. And she authorized us to go to San Francisco. And he's like, what? That's all she said. And 355 is like, she said hi too, but she clearly didn't call her. So I don't know, maybe, I don't know if she, yeah, did she get a sat phone? But then, uh, you know, she mentions that the others outside are, are they're using tear gas like every 30 minutes. So they'll go after the next round. And he tries asking, he's like, oh, what happened to your face? Because there's a cut. And she's, you know, he like reaches out and she's like swats his hand away. And then, you know, she doesn't say anything. But in your bag, you see there's something with light. So I think she had a sat phone in her, her, her bag maybe. But she clearly didn't call the president. So it's not really clear why she didn't do that. So, like I said, uh, I mean, stuff is happening, but it doesn't feel like it's all that much. But again, I'm not, I'm absolutely not complaining about the show because I am still captivated. So, 
I don't know what I'm saying, but, but there you go. That was the episode. So it was good. I enjoyed it. Okay, with uh, Stargirl, Season 2, Episode 8, Summer School, Chapter 8. And it's weird because it's like they're not even summer school. It's the 4th of July. There's no school, but whatever. So it's a white car. It's like driving through some like dried farmlands, whatever. This lady gets out with a folder. So she's at Rick's place or Rick's uncle's or whatever. And um, it's she's it's his history teacher, whatever his teacher was that accused him of teaching. I forget. And, you know, it's the 4th of July. And she, he's like, what are you doing here or whatever? And she's like, I just want to apologize again for accusing you of cheating. And he's like, you came all the way out here just for that? And she's like, no. She's like, I put together some college and financial aid information. And he's like, college? And she says that, you know, college was a place where she could start all over again. And, you know, she could be who she wanted to be instead of who people said she was. And then his uncle like barges out. And he's like, who the hell are you? And she says, like, I'm his teacher, whatever. And he's like, you're trespassing. So don't you get your ass off my property? And Rick's like, hey. And then uh, she tells Rick, she's like, no, that's fine. She's like, uh, you know, uh, I'm on my way or whatever. So she tells Rick that, you know, she's happy to go over, you know, the information anytime. And then Rick's, um, you know, so she gets in her car and pulls away. And Rick's like, why do you have to be such a jerk, whatever? And his uncle takes the papers and he looks. He's like, you'll end up in jail before you end up in college. And he just like flings the papers up and goes back inside. And, you know, he had like a beer in his hand. So Rick, then he starts going after picking up the papers. Out in the woods, Rick has like a sack of something, you know, a sack of food. And he yells, he's like, I'm sick of this. He's like, you hear me? He's like, I'm sick of everything and, you know, of giving everything and getting nothing. And he's like sobs and he's like, I'm tired. He sits on a log and then Grundy walks up and then, you know, Rick stands up. So now it's like, okay, confrontation, what's gonna happen? Courtney um, comes downstairs. Uh, her mom's like, where are you going? And she's like, I just want to go talk to Yolanda. She's like, I couldn't sleep last night. She's like, you know, she's my best friend. I dragged her into this. Barbara and Pat's like, it's not your fault. And then she's like, well, you know, how can I help? Pat's like, you can help by just giving her time. And Mike's like, that's terrible advice. He's like, you can help by kicking Eclipso's ass. And then the doorbell rings. Mike's like, Eclipso wouldn't ring the doorbell, would he? So Courtney walks to the door, she answers it. There's no one there, but there's a gym bag on a porch and the wildcat costumes inside and no sight of Yolanda. Beth is on a computer with the goggles next to her. You know, she's trying to access the files. Every time, you know, it's confidential, you know, JSA files. And then uh, there's some static and it's like, hello. So it's Dr. McNider. And he's like, you know, what are you doing with my goggles? And she says that she's like, you know, everyone says you're dead. You know, are you a ghost? And he's like, well, you know, clinically speaking, I'm alive. And he says that, you know, he that she has his original goggles and the two must be connecting somehow. So that's how they're talking. And then he's like, how old are you? You know, so she's she's like, I just turned 16 or whatever. And then then, he, you know, they're talking more. And then he's like, oh, I think they saw me. He's like, I have to keep moving. And she's like, where are you? And he's like, I'm in the shadow. Let and he gets cut off. So he's in the shadow lands. So she sits back down. And um, as she sits there, there's like a dude like popped up on her laptop, like in the static or whatever, like with the files or so. So it's like, but then she didn't see it. So I think it was Eclipso. Um, Grundy is eating apples. And Rick says that he's like, I get why you like it out here. It's just quiet. And then he says, you know, we, we I had a dog once. It was, he was called Jax, J-A-X. He's like, you know, my uncle got him from the pound. He was, you know, all beat up and vicious. My uncle got him because he wanted to fight dog. He treated him terrible, which made him worse. He's like, one day I told him that Jax ran away, but I really took him over to like the next town and got him a new home. He's like, I went over a year later to visit him and he was just a different dog because people cared about him. He's like, they loved him. And then he's like, you know, he's like, maybe Grundy just needs someone to be a little kind. And he asks himself, he's like, what am I doing? He's like, you don't understand a damn thing I'm talking about. 
And you know, so he sees like sitting he's sitting on a log next to him as, as Grundy's just chowing on apples, and then all of a sudden a big Grundy hand starts like patting him on the back. And Grundy looks at him and he offers him an apple in his like big humongous hands. So he can understand. Courtney uh, takes a costume down to the basement and uh, she's going to put it in a box and she checks on, on the staff and it's it's still like not lit up and kind of like burnt out or whatever. And she's like, I wish I could help you too. And she's like, not just so we could stop Eclipso, but because you're my friend. It, it glows a little bit and fades you know, when she says this. Uh, Beth's parents come in because she's like sitting in the living room and they have like plates of food. So they have three plates and she's surprised. She's like, you're never home this, this time of day. But even though it's the 4th of July, so I guess they don't even get the 4th off. Mom says uh, that she thinks it's time they finally talk about the divorce. So then they say, you know, when they first got together, they fell in love at first sight. And when Beth was born, they made the decision to focus on Beth. You know, so raising her, trying to work and everything, they kind of lost sight of each other. And eventually they grew apart. And it was all because of Beth. And then she's like, what? And she looks down at her plates because, you know, she had like sandwich and chips or like that. And there's like maggots in her food. And she like drops her plate. And mom's like, she's like, I know you're upset, but I don't, that's no reason to. And Beth's like, you didn't see that? And she looks at, at the, the, the food on the floor and, and it's fine. And she grabs the goggles and she's like, I got to go. And she rushes out. Rick um, heads back to his car, gets in, turns on the radio. There's talk of like another bear sighting. Then he sees a couple of pickup trucks drive by and like park like a little ahead of him. So they're saying, you know, people are joining in on a hunt. So then he gets out of his car and he runs back into the woods. At Pat's garage, he's working on stripes some more. Courtney comes in with, she's just like walking with the staff. So she's just like walking down the street. Or I mean, she, she couldn't fly there. She, I don't think she has a car. So she's, she's like, I need you to do something about Cosmo. And he's like, who's Cosmo? And she's like, the staff. And Pat's like, you named the staff? And Courtney's like, you named a robot. And he's like, no, you did. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> and she's like, you know, we, we can't just sit around and hope that the staff gets better. And he's like, you know, the staff was designed to fix itself. And she's like, well, it's not fast enough. And he's like, the JSA was always ready when the time came. And she's like, Yolanda quit. Eclipso's free. It's like, I feel completely useless. And she's like, you know, what's Eclipso waiting for? Where is he? And then Rick calls at that point. And he's like, Grundy needs her help. So Pat and Courtney arrive by the woods. Courtney still, still has the staff and she's ready to blast Grundy. But she's like, you know, I might have a shot or two left in the staff. But, you know, and, and she's not sure. Cause I don't remember if she knew that Rick was going out there because she's like, it's like, I understand why, you know, he, he was feeding him and keeping it a secret. And Pat's like, well, you know, you never know. Or, you know, you have the reasons. Beth walks into Courtney's house. She just like walks through the front, in the front door. No one's home. And, um, you know, she's calling them out. And she also calls out Buddy. So I think Buddy was a dog's name. I told you, I kept forgetting what, what the dog's name was. And then uh, the creepy kid Eclipso is suddenly sitting on the stairs. And he's like, hello. And she's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Bruce. And she's like, well, you shouldn't be here. This is not your house. He's like, well, it's not yours either. Here we are. And he's like, are you here to steal something? And she says, whatever, you know, she's, he's saying some stuff. She's like, you don't know me. He's like, I know, know your kind. And, and he's like, you're Beth Chapel. You're a liar and a thief. He's like, you stole the goggles. And he's like holding them up. So somehow he got them from her, even though they're like kind of hanging from her pocket. And then he's like stealing. He's like, that's what you people do. And she's like, shut up. So as, I'm, as, as he says this, I was like, wait, is he being racist? You know? So he says, he's like, well, come and get him if you want. And he runs upstairs. So she just starts walking after him. I mean, she could have like lunged and tried to, so she's just like walking up to whatever. 
and it's it's kind of dark in the house because you know it's like overcast outside from the the calypso change messing the weather or whatever and there's kind of whispers and then she's like in courtney's room she's like i know you're in a closet so it's like you know she's scared to open it so she opens it and there's nothing there and then you hear you're not very smart are you and he's like you can't be trusted with these and and he's like you know the staff's uh, chose Courtney. She chose Yolanda. Rick's dad chose him. And he's like, you're no fighter. And he's like, I thought you people were athletic. <laughs> so he's racist. And then, and she's like, she caught, she's like racist. And he grits his teeth like, or something like that. And then she goes flying back somehow <laughs> gets, gets sent like flying back into the closet. So Rick, meanwhile, he's running through the woods. He gets to the spot where they were. And then, like, someone grabs him, and he, like, kind of like, gets all defensive, but it's just a hunter. And he has, like, another guy who's, like, injured. He's like, you got to get out of here. He's like, it wasn't a bear, you know, whatever. So you know, he's all bloody. And he says something about this 10-year-old girl that's missing. She's like, we need to kill it. Beth is in a closet. She's, like, pounding on a door. And then somehow she falls on the floor, and she's, like, in this dark room. And she's, like, walk, gets up, walks around. And it's, like, the JSA headquarters or something like that. Because Starman is there with the staff, and he's like, what are you doing here? And we see like the original Wildcat and Our Man are there too. They're like, how'd you get in here? Are you lost? They're like, you don't belong here. And the, the creepy kid, he's like, one of these things is not like the other. And then he's like, you're the wrong age. You're the wrong gender and the wrong color. <laughs> and he runs off. And she starts, starts chasing him. Pat and Courtney are still in the woods. And they wonder why they haven't uh, seen any hunters or Rick. So at this point, I'm like, is one of them like in an alternate dimension? Are they not in the same woods that, you know, they're not hearing this? Because they're like, they're calling out and, and stuff like that. But then, uh, so Rick hears gunshots and then he grabs his hourglass. So he's going to go get ready to whatever, try to protect Grundy. Courtney and Pat, then now they hear Rick calling out to Grundy. So it's like weird that they, they couldn't hear anything before. Grundy is by the river and you see like his hand looks like it's all bloody. And he like growls at Rick a little bit. And Rick's like, are you okay? And he just kind of groans quietly. And then you see there's a girl lying in the river. And Rick, he's like, did you kill her? Did you kill her? And Grundy like snarls and roars at him. He's like, you damn monster. And Grundy like runs and like jumps away. He's like, I'm going to kill you. And starts chasing after him. So he's like mad because you know he's been taking care of him and helping him. And now he's killed this little girl. So Pat and Courtney arrive and they see the girl. Pat goes over to her, like pulls her out. And then as she's lying on the ground, it almost looks like like she's an old timey girl, like like the girl at the birthday parties. Just it looks like she's wearing this old dress or whatever. And then her eyes suddenly open, and there's like this creepy smile, and then she disappears. So Courtney's like Eclipso. So Grundy didn't kill a girl. Rick and uh, Grundy now they're like at his place, and Grundy roars, and Rick's like, "Why'd you do it? Why'd you kill that little girl?" And then they start fighting, and as they're fighting, it's like nighttime now, and you know, there's fireworks start up in the background or whatever. Beth's like running through the halls looking for a creepy kid, and then she's suddenly back at Courtney's, and then the kid laughs. He's like, "You can pretend to be brave, but you're not." And he says, he's like, I know everything about you. He's like, you've been hiding behind that stupid smile your entire life. You're hiding behind your glasses. And then she's like, if I'm so afraid, why are you the one that's hiding? And he's like, what are you scared of? And then in the dark behind her, there's a growl. And she turns around and now Eclipso is like full size, like regular actual Eclipso there. Rick, meanwhile, is pounding on Grundy. Uh, Courtney and Pat come up and they're like, stop, stop, whatever. And he's just like, get out of here. And he's just like pounding on, on Grundy. Eclipso tells Beth that she's the weakest of the others, that you know she was born from nothing. 
and you know she reaches for her goggles he's like no and then he like grabs her arm so there's like just struggle pat and courtney are telling rick to stop they're like that's not grundy and then courtney blasts rick and he you know it goes flying back he gets up and looks he was beating up his uncle pat goes over and checks on him because he like even flung him against a truck and he's just like still hitting him or whatever so pat checks his pulse and i guess he's fine if it wasn't really clear or whatever and then rick's just like looking he rips off the, the hourglass and smashes it on the ground and it like shatters and there's like kind of like a little puff of sand or whatever it goes up and just some like left on the on the, the grass eclipso tells beth to admit her fear her envy her anger uh you know she forced herself into the group and she's like i belong here and he's like, you know, no one wants you. No one chose you. And she's like, that's what you need me to do, right? Give in to my worst fears. She's like, well, I won't do it. She's like, I chose me. I chose myself or whatever. And it sends like a zap. And the look, Eclipso kind of has to let go. She falls and she puts the goggles on. And he's like about to come at her. But then he's gone. And she's like back sitting in her living room. At Rick's, the police are there. And there's an ambulance. Uh, Rick's sitting in the back of a squad car. Uh, Pat and Courtney are just standing there watching. Uncle's taken away in the ambulance. And then uh, as they, they drive away, Grundy kind of like peeks out from behind a, a silo and he's like, friend. Beth, meanwhile, is trying to figure out what happened. And McNiter kind of comes in. He's like, you never left your home. And he's, he's like, don't take off the goggles. It helps you see through Eclipso's illusions. And she's like, you saved my life. And he's like, no, you did, whoever you are. And then she's like, I'm the new Dr. Midnight. And then on the, the, the goggle screen, whatever, the JSA files updates, and it says that, you know, Beth Chapel, Dr. Midnight, whatever. And then McNider's gone. Her parents call her from the other room, so she goes upstairs. She's still wearing the goggles. And she's like, you know, sorry about earlier and everything. And they're like, wait, what? Do you, we haven't been here all day. So then she realized it was all fake. They're like, are you all right? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm trying to be something that I'm not. And her mom talks about, like, when they moved there, that you know there hadn't been another black doctor in a town or something like that. The other doctor before her had worked there for 50 years, you know, so the town didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know if she could do the job. And you know, she did the the best that she could. And her dad's like, yeah, she worked harder than anyone. So then mom's like, you know, you can do whatever you want because you're our daughter. She's like, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Then the mom's like, what are you wearing? And she's like, oh, these, they're, they're for swimming. And she, I think she said she's, you know, going out for the swim team or something. At the house, Barbara and Mike are talking, you know, they're sitting there and Pat and Courtney went to the police station and, you know, she's like, you know, or Mike's like, well, what can we do? And she's like, we can be here for them when, when they get back. And Mike's like, well, I could be here for you too, mom. And, you know, then he hugs her as the camera kind of pans out. There's kind of like ice forming on the windows and like on the roof and everything like that. So somehow an ice storm is coming from from Cameron. He's like, why would he, he do that? So we'll find out next week. So, uh, yeah, so Rick's, and it's, it's too bad, like what Rick's uncle said, that you're going to end up in jail before you go to college. But, I mean, just because the, he got in a fight with his uncle, I mean, would he go to jail for that? I mean, who his uncle, who knows how he was treating him? It just seems like they kind of jumped the gun with that. And I wonder if he's 18 yet or not. So we'll have to see what they say next week. With What If, Season 1, Episode 8, What If, Ultron 1, it starts off, Black Widow's on a motorcycle. She's being traced by Ultrons, the Ultron drones. Hawkeye shoots a, a bunch down. Then more arrive, and they start going after Hawkeye because they see him. And he has, like, a stealth cloak or something like that. It's like, okay, where, where'd that come from? 
And uh, we, he also apparently lost his right arm because it looks like he has like a mechanical arm. And they're like in Russia. So Ultron, we find, you know, he wanted an, an organic body. The Avengers stole that body that, you know, the, that would become Vision. In this world, in this universe, he got his wish. And with the power of the Mind Stone, he began to lay waste on the planet. So he went after the nuclear codes. He launched snooks all over the world. Clint and Natasha were like in a Quinjet. So I guess that's why they weren't, you know, killed or whatever. And then as Ultron thought he achieved peace, Thanos arrives through a portal. And he he has an infinity gauntlet. He wants a Mind Stone. And Ultron, Ultron slash Vision or whatever, because he, now he's in Vision's body. He's like fascinating you know, when he sees a gauntlet. And then he immediately slices Thanos in half. Like vertically, like, and then he zaps the gauntlet and he takes the stones. So they they kind of like rise up and they like merge with him. He's like, now I see everything, worlds beyond my own or just whatever. He's like, worlds that need me. And so then he's back in Ultron form now, which is like okay. And he gives himself a cape. He so he goes to Asgard to deliver peace to wipe everyone out. Then he goes to the Sovereign, whatever the Guardians of the Galaxy takes them out. He goes to Sakar, the Collector, he's gone. Goes to Ego, blows it up. Xander's getting attacked too. Uh, then uh, Ultron's about to deliver like the final blow, but then he's knocked down to the planet by Captain Marvel, and she's like pushing him into the planet like towards the core. And Ultron's like, "Oh, you have spirit," and she's like, "You can't win." And then he starts to, like, overpower her. He's like, I already have. And then, poosh, planet's gone. It is done. And then his uh, his helmet kind of opens up and, and it shows the vision. So he didn't form. This is where it's kind of weird. Does this happen to the other one? So it's like vision wearing an Ultron helmet. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Then the watcher's like, the realization nearly broke the machine. With his mission complete, Ultron was now just a program without a purpose. The victor without a war, sentenced to spend all of eternity alone. And then Ultron's like, who said that? And then, you know, Watcher continues. He transcended and became aware of me. So he he realizes the Watcher's there. So the Watcher kind of freaks out. And then Ultron realizes that there's universes beyond his own. So the Watcher's like, I've seen everything that has ever happened and everything that could ever happen or something like that. And yet, what the hell is this? Which seems kind of weird for the Watcher to say that. So he's like, you know, if if this hunger were unleashed upon the multiverse and Ultron can be heard saying, I will find you. So the Watcher says that even he can't imagine the horrors that might follow. He says, you know, the machine isn't as invisible as it thinks. You know, there's still hope for the universe. So Natasha and Clint go to the KGB archives. It's like this big warehouse. Clint said it's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. They start looking through random boxes of files. And um, this for a long time because you see they're going through all these boxes. And Natasha finds a Red Guardian's shield. And she's like, oh, she's like, ask Clint, is this my color? He's like, don't try to make this fun. He's like, because he's just like, he's exhausted. He's just kind of losing it. The watchers, she's like, oh, you're so close. You know, he's there, but he, he they can't see or hear him. And he's like, it's in the next box because you know Clint's like looking through one. He's like, I could intervene and save the multiverse because there's a file for Arnim Zola, and and then uh, and Ultron is like getting closer to where he's at. So Hawkeye grabs the the box that has a file, but then he stops. He's like, this is pointless. So he and Natasha talk a little bit, and the watchers like, it's right there, but he still doesn't hear him. Hawkeye's like, I'm just, I'm just tired. He's like, I'm not sure if there's anything you know left worth fighting for. 
you know, Ultron has already taken over every program on the planet. And that's like, yeah, every digital program. It's like the one I have in mind is a little more analog. So she starts looking through the, the, the file and she finds it and she tells Clint, Clint that you're going to feel like a jerk for almost quitting. And he's like, that was my box, you know, whatever. So there's an old Hydra base in Siberia. And Clint's like, he's looking, he's like, what's, what's Azola? Is that an anagram? Or, and she's like, he's a man, or at least he was. And he's going to help us wipe out Ultron. So the Watcher's like, they did it. There's still hope. And then Ultron busts through like his, the crystal walls. He's like, I finally found you. And, and he zaps the Watcher. And he's like, there's so many universes, so much chaos. They must be silent. So at the Siberia base, uh, Arnim Zola uploads his his brain into a series of data banks. You know, so uh, Natasha's telling Clint, she and Steve found some. They they destroyed the other batch, or whatever. But Hydra kept some to supervise a Russian super soldier program. Then she starts typing at a computer, and Zola comes online. He recognizes who they are from their files, whatever. And Zola's, you know, they're, 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 he's going to help them. And Zola's like, why do you think my strategic objectives would ever align with yours? And Clint's like, because you're the last surviving Zola copy left on Earth. And he's like, and I've ruined a lot of laptops in my day. So he has like some water and he's like threatening to pour it on there. And he's like, you can ask S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and that's like, yeah, I've seen it. So he, there's, it's like kind of like a stalemate. There's a drop of water about to fall. And he's like, okay, he's like, what do you have in mind or whatever? So Nat calls Avengers Tower and Ultron's like, hello? He sounds like he's tired. And she's like, I'd like to order pizza. He's like, what? Who is this? And she's like, do you have, you, or do you offer a gluten-free crust? And she hangs up because he's like about to pinpoint her coordinates or something like that. So Hawkeye downloads uh, Zola into like an, a USB arrow or something like that. And then since Ultron is off planet, so they have to upload Zola via a sentry drone. So if they grab one, plug him in, 90 seconds later, he can give Ultron a piece of his mind. He can take him over. Then they're going to like, they do it, and she's like, torch to computers or like that. So they set fire to him because now Zola's in, in the arrow, in the USB. A bunch of drones have arrived. They come in. They look around. They just, there's a little fire. They don't see anything. Then the USB arrow hits one in the eye, and then Zola starts downloading. A second drone tries grabbing the arrow, but a shield flies and knocks it back. So Nat jumps down, catches the shield as it ricochets, starts zapping them with her wrist blastings, Hawkeye shooting arrows at them. Uh, they they grab the Nat grabs the Ultron with the drone with the arrow and they drag it into this other room, seal the door. But now the Ultron's are like pounding on the on the steel door and they're not sure if it's going to hold. Clint's like, well, we have ninety seconds to find out if it if it'll work, if it'll hold. And Zola's like, correction, fifty two seconds or something like that. And he stands up and he he's in, in charge. So Nat shoots his legs off and he's like, what what are you doing? Clint's like, oh, it's a precaution in case you want to try anything funny. So he connects, and then there's a big slam on the door. And he's like, the Ultron hive mind appears to be out of range. So they, they start pounding on a door some more. They're, they need to start climbing out of there, sort of like going up. And the drones are coming in. There's a whole swarm of drones. So many working their way in. They're shooting, zapping, and whatever. And at one point, like, Clint jumps, and he's like, just now he's just like hanging. And that has him. And Zola's like even using the, the drone body to shoot at them. And Clint's like, he's, he's like, Nat, I told you I didn't want to fight anymore. And then he like, let's go. He falls. He shoots like another one. There's like, and then there's this big explosion, takes them all out just as, as Natasha and Zola reach the surface. And then Natasha's like, I don't understand why you weren't able to connect. So he runs a diagnostic and he's like, it doesn't appear to be within the observable universe. 
So Ultron's busy fighting the Watcher. So, you know, he's not in the universe. Watcher ends up getting blasted out of his area into like another universe. Looks like the Watcher's losing, but then he kind of comes back. He's using like this big kind of like barrier shield or whatever. And he like zaps Ultron and he tells him, you can't compute the power of my will. Some more fighting, breaking through universes. Ultron says that, you know, he's like, the multiverse is at your fingertips, yet you spend all your time up there. And he's like, isn't it more fun than just watching? And to be honest, a lot less creepy on your part, which is what everyone says. The Watcher is just a big creep. He slams a Watcher down, and he's just like hitting him. Like each punch is sending like a ripple and changes like the people and environment around. And then uh, the Ultron grabs a Watcher by the head, and he's just like, he's like powering up. And then Watcher like clenches his fist. He like punches his hand away, and he retreats. And Ultron's like, run or watch. doesn't matter. It's like no one can stop me now. So then the Watcher's like sitting in like, he's sitting somewhere. I don't think he's sitting in his realm anymore. And then Doctor Strange shows up and Watcher's like, I'm out of options. So I wonder if this is a Doctor Strange from the other episode. The, I forgot which one. The one where he tried saving uh, Rachel or whatever. Um, so the Watcher's like, that thing has left me no choice. And Strange laughs. He's like, been there, been living the dream alone in a prison of my own making ever since. He's like, are you ready to break your oath? And then he's like, I want to hear you say it. And Watcher's like, or, or Watcher's like, do you need me to say it or something like that? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, okay, I see now. I need your help. I'm assuming we're going to get like a part two at some point. I don't know when because I don't know what's happening in this season. I don't want to know. I don't want spoilers. I want to be able to click the episode and then be surprised as what's going on. But So it was a good episode. But still, I, I can't place my finger on it. It's like these these episodes aren't like knocking my socks off. You know, my socks are still on. And I like having my socks off sometimes. So, I don't know. It, so it was good. It was it was cool. And this is but this is what you could do. You know, go extreme. You can go all out, wipe out everyone except for Black Widow and, and Hawkeye. It's like I don't even know what other I mean, other people survived, but like nuclear missiles all over the world were like blown up. So, so there you go. That was this week's episode. All right, with Titans season three, episode eleven, Troubled Water. Uh, I'm enjoying the show. Uh, this episode, I I did like the episode. What I don't like is how how bad things are getting. So this is one of those situations where, yeah, you know, we need these horrible buildup, you know, these horrible things for our our beloved characters or whatever. Because if you don't have this drama, these conflicts, then it's going to be a boring show. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, man, you're just you're just beating them up over and over again. And it's not super fun, but like I said, you have to have that. So it starts off, we're at the GCPD. There's like a plastic tarp on the ce- ceiling in Barb's office because the, the water main, whatever, broke. It's still kind of dripping. She's getting updated on the contamination. So... The water's uh, been contaminated with with Doctor with Scarecrow's Doctor Crane. Why am I calling him Doctor Crane? He doesn't get that respect for me. Uh, Scarecrow's uh, drugs is infecting everyone. So the contamination occurred in the water mains for the five boroughs. They've tried to analyze it. It's an unidentified hallucinogen. It's flavorless and odorless. So no one, if someone's drinking the water, they're not going to realize that. They suggest that they should issue like a citywide alert. And they're saying, like, even if 1% of the people drank the water, it would still inf- affect, like, 60,000 people. And then this other um, dude comes in. I, I think it was this other detective. I think that, that this was Fletcher. 
and he he's talking about a, a shotgun assault at JT Liquor, or whatever. Um, he said there's like a double homicide. There's warehouses on fire, and um, apparently every one of those people drank the water. So it's like you know what are their options? So you know there's other people talking about, and they're like, well you know we, they could shut off the water and flush you know flush it all into the bay. But that's going to take like four or five days. And then this other guy's like, well, we, we can't shut the water off to six million people for five days. Barb sees that Dick arrived and he kind of like, you know, motions to her or whatever. And um, so, you know, she excuses her. So she goes in and talks to him. And he says, um, he tells her that they've scanned the city and they haven't found anything. So then Barb, I don't know who this lady is compared if, I don't think she's like Barb's assistant or whatever. She, you know, she must be another officer, like her number two whatever or number one or whatever you want to call it she says that uh, the senator's office called and and the, the feds are sending in a national guard and she's like good you know we could use the help and she's like no it's not good they're stealing off the city so there's going to be no one allowed in or out so then barb tells her like okay you know order you know the water to be shut off then we see jason and crane they're in, in a warehouse so they're back together and crane says that you know he's like this is where the victors go and but jason like we didn't win and he's like, you know, they were going to take me back, but you effed it up or whatever. And Crane's like, it's like, oh, what? I, you know, you you had a moment. You know, it happened. And and then he's like, and I forgive you. And he, he takes off this tarp. There's like this fancy sports car in there. So I don't know if he's trying to bribe him with it or whatever. And then Crane talks about this one dude who was like this bacon guy. He sold bacon. And apparently he sold people on the idea of a hearty breakfast. And then the bacon ended up selling itself. So he, he's talking about, like, that's what he wants to do with Gotham. He turns on a computer, and it shows, like, Nightwing and, and others fighting in a warehouse. So he says, it's not the product. It's how you sell it. And he says, Gotham needs a new product. And he sends out a message, and it goes to everyone. So Dick's phone beeps. Other officers at the GCPD, their phones go off. And, and then it's, like, playing on the big screen, whatever. There's, like, this big bat logo. And Green, Crane is, like, narrating. He's like, Gotham City used to have a protector, guardian angel. And then uh, the bat signal changes, and there's a red T, the Titan signal up there. But Batman abandoned Gotham and left Nightwing and his friends in his place. And then you see, like, this Titans Wanted, like, you know, comes up with, like, pictures of Nightwing's uh, Starfire, Beast Boy, Superboy, Blackfire. I don't know if Think Crypto was, was there. Maybe. And then you see scenes of, like, Nightwing beating up, like, some, I'm assuming, bad guys. And then Crane continues, what has Nightwing done? He's robbing you, poisoning the very water you, you drink, the water you give your children. Nightwing is a criminal protected by the Gotham City police. Only you can stop him. There will be a $50,000 reward paid to the person who brings him in, dead or alive. But take heart, Gotham. A new hero will rise, and you will know his name. And then you see like Red Hood, Gotham Savior. So this <laughs> this seems kind of silly. I mean, the police could be like, um, "Hey, Ding Dongs, that's the Scarecrow. You remember him? He terrorized Gotham City. He's been locked up in Arkham Asylum. That was his voice. He's saying that Nightwing is is a bad guy. No, he's not. Because you know, you know, the Titans were like on the news, and you know, in San Francisco, people were like, "Hey, you know, Titans are heroes and." So it just seems kind of silly to you know people be so so gullible and fifty thousand dollars it doesn't sound like that much in today's day and age and then he's condoning bring him in dead or alive who's condoning this because he says that the 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 GCPD are working or whatever protecting Nightwing so it's like hey just go lawless and just go out and kill someone 
And I, hopefully you won't get in trouble because I said it was okay. Who, who am I? You don't know. You don't care. So it just seems a little silly. But when uh, Jason with, with Crane, when he sees that part about him being the savior, he, he kind of perks up a little when he sees that. Barbara doesn't think people will actually believe that crap. Dick says, you know, people will believe what, what they need to believe. He's like, they're scared. And Crane just gave their fear a target. So Dick says that, you know, they can still get ahead of this and reach people. You know, not everyone would have drank the water. She's worried that if they lose people's trust, it's over. Because she's like, you know, people believe, you know, that they felt they were safe with, you know, Batman and her father, you know, that they're working together and all this stuff like that. But Dick's like, you know, we can fix this. At Wayne Manor, Gar's, he's looking at some, I guess it's like a Batman journal or whatever. And he's like reading different parts. He, he and I don't know if it was like a different language, but he comes apart with about the Lazarus pit. And it's almost, I don't know if it's just coincidental, but when he says that, and then these bats start flying around the room, there's like a bunch of them. And he's like, like, Oh, this look at this. And he actually like puts out, you know, his hand and like, you know, one, um, you know, about to touch his fingerprints and then Corey comes in. So I don't know what the point of this is. Is beast boy going to try to turn into a bat? And so he can fly. I mean, could he fly? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but Corey comes in and she's like, we have a problem and we got to go. So then we see Donna, she's in a, a, a taxi cab and it stops on like the outskirts of Gotham, like before Gotham, uh, before the, the city limits. And she's like, why do we stop? And the driver's like, the National Guard is shutting down every bridge and tunnel in and out of Gotham. And she's like, well, you could have told me that at the airport. He's like, oh, I thought you knew that. It's like, well, then why would that doesn't make any sense? And he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, things are, are messed up there. He's like, it's not safe for a lady. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll take my chances. So then we see the Titans on the street. There's a bunch of people fighting. Connor asks, he's like, how can we tell the good guys from the bad? And then one guy, um, they, they, so they all start fighting, you know, trying, people are just attacking, you know, people who haven't drink. I'm assuming people who drink the chemicals are attacking people who haven't. So then we see like uh, this one person that Corey's fighting has a knife and his mouth is foaming. Dick stayed behind at the, the, the manor because you know he doesn't want to be seen because they think he's the bad guy gar fights this guy who has an axe then um then the other people start picking up pieces like wood and debris and stuff like that and they're they tell the titans not to hurt them uh you know it's like oh you guys are part of nightwing's gangs and gar's like oh we're not really a gang we're more like you know friends or associates or whatever so dick's saying uh, so you guys should probably leave blackfire wants to stay she's like i think we should remind them you know whose side we're on and then, but they're going to leave. So as they start walking away, one dude, he's like, yeah, that's right. Get the F out of here. And then back, Blackfire, she slowly looks over her shoulder at him and he kind of like flinches back. It's like, you're such a dork or whatever. So Donna's walking to uh, Gotham and she, um, she's kind of like looking around. She's wondering if there's anyone around her. She keeps walking. Then she gets attacked and it's Lydia. And Lydia's, her, you just hear her voice. She's like, your sensory perception is off. She's like, I've been following you for 10 minutes, unaware. And she's like, it's not every day someone returns from the dead. She's like, I need to know what came back. So she tells Donna that she has to come back with her to the island, that when she died, they began a ritual to bring her back, and she must undergo testing to discover what has happened and what and how it changed her. Donna's like, I'm fine. She's like, I'm going back to Gotham. And Lydia's like, so be it. We'll test you here. So then there's like a couple like struggle, whatever. And then Donna like, falls on her back but as she hits the ground she's she like lands in the woods so she's like somewhere else and then lydia's voice tells donna like you're in the, we're in the training grounds now 
And she's like, once Donna's proven that she's ready to return to the world of man, that she can leave. And she's just like kind of rolling her eyes, just like, seriously? Then the detective dude, uh, Fletcher, he tells Barbara that two officers are at the hospital for gunshot wounds. You know, they just went to investigate something and they end up getting shot, whatever, randomly. And she's like, well, you know, we'll get through this. And, you know, she's like, I, I need you to tell the other officers. And he's like, well, you know, it probably would be good coming from you. And she's like, I'll talk to them. But she's like, but I'm talking to you right now. So she's like, you know, please, you know, can you do this for me? Then he gets a text and he's like, Johnson just died on the table. So one of the officers, it wasn't Johnson, I don't know. He just died on the operating table. So then Donna's in the woods. This arrow shunk, hits a tree like right in front of her. And she's just like, are you serious? And then, uh, you know, Lydia's talking. Another one comes at her and she catches it and like snaps it in half. So Lydia's like, why was I able to defeat you before? So probably before they came into the training ground. Donna's like, well, I've been dead for a while. And Lydia says that she reacted with fear and uncertainty like a human. And then, then she shoots like a bunch more arrows and Donna dodges them. Then there's like a sword next to her. So she's like grabs it. So Dick, um, he he's talking to Barbara and he says that, you know, his plan uh, is to turn himself in. And, you know, so if he's in, in Gotham City custody, the GCPD custody, um, that will show that he's not working, that they're not working together. So, you know, give the city their trust back, you know, the, their trust where it belongs with with Barbara, with the police. And then she's like, well, well then what are you going to do? You know, Nightwing is going to go on trial or whatever. He's like, no, I'll, I'll pay, pay my bail and then I'll disappear. You know, we'll work with the Titans like in the shadows, you know, like, you know, we should, whatever. So she's not really crazy about that plan. Crane and Jason are sitting back. They're looking at some computer monitors showing like a bunch of the chaos in the streets. Crane is like really happy himself with himself and like the results so far. Jason says, he's like, I thought we we're going to give people hope and, you know, like, like a new way. And Crane's like, oh, yeah, I get it. He's like, this is your home. You know, there's rebirth and dissolution. And he says that he's like, when they write the history of Gotham, the final chapter will be Red Hood. But that almost makes it sound like the end of Gotham, whatever. And he's like, Batman will just be a footnote. Jason's like, they'll always want Batman or the other Robin. And then uh, Crane tells Jason that you know he needs to be committed, like 100%. And then he he gives, uh, he kind of motions his bag, to, and it's like a bag of money or whatever, and he tells Jason to go shopping. So Jason's sitting in a car, and Molly calls him, and she says that she's scared for him and because of what, like what's happening out there. And she says that, you know, he's always been there for her. So she wants to be there for him. And, you know, she's she wants them to leave Gotham. And he's like, you know, where would we go? And they're, she's like, I don't know, whatever, you know, San Francisco or and then he's like Hawaii or something. But then he says, you know, he can't leave. And she's like Red Hood. And she's like, that's not who, who you are. And then he's like, this is something I have to do. You know, this is all that he has left. He tells her that she's one of the, the few good people he knows. And he's like, don't let Gotham take that away. And then he's like, you know, you should go. And, and he hangs up. So then, and you see the, he has a red hood, hood helmet next to him on the seat, next, like the passenger seat. At Wayne Manor, Dick tells uh, the Titans a plan of turning themselves in. So it's not just him. He's not just turning himself in. They all, they're all supposed to turn themselves in. Then they'll post bail. Then they'll go like start working in the shadows and stuff like that. They're not really crazy about it, but then, you know, slowly one by one, they, they agree to it. Then Dick's like, okay, let's suit up. It's like, we'll go in together as a team, as a family. Donna's still in the woods uh, facing Lydia. 
Lydia says that you know she can't avoid who she is. She must confront it. So now they're like fighting with the swords. Lydia, like at one point, she kicks this big log at Donna, and Donna just like whoosh slices it in half. And you know she says that she knows Lydia's always hated her because she's part human. So to her, it's always made her less. So then there's more fighting, and then at one point Donna knocks Lydia down, and Lydia says that if she keeps doing things the way she has, she's gonna die again. And she's like, you know, first my daughter, Angela, then you. And she's like, I couldn't survive that again. And she, she says that, you know, she's pushing Donna to be more because she is more. She's like, you are, you are of your world and my world. That makes you the best of us. And then Donna realizes that, you know, she actually cares. And, you know, she's whatever, proud of her or something. So she's like, you know, I'm so sorry. And Lydia's like, you know, don't be sorry. Be stronger. It's like, you are born not just to protect people, but to lead them. So you must rise. And then Donna's suddenly back on the outskirts of Gotham, and it's like night. So then we see um, some officers are sitting in, in a restaurant. I think uh, F- the Fletcher guy, he's there too. And then the lights go out. And there's then there's like one light on the table, and Red, voice, Red Hood's voice is like, you know what to do. And there's a bag on the floor. So he gets up, and he goes over there, and he's like, there's more where that came from. So he picks up, and there's like, like stacks of, of like cash in there. And Red Hood's like, say it. Say my name. Because he's like, you're him, aren't you? Or whatever. He's like, say my name. And Fletcher's like, Red Hood. So I guess Jason just bought them off, which isn't good. <laughs> um, the Titans, they take some SUVs to the, the GCPD. They, so they arrive like in a parking garage, you know, down below, whatever. There's a lot of armed security officers. They have like riot gears, like helmets and shields and all that stuff. And they're like, then the Titans are like, what's going on? And Dick's like, oh, it's just for show. He's like, you know, Barbara cleared it. So then as they're, they're walking, they kind of stopped or like in, in the middle of this, like, you know, the room, whatever. And there's like a there's kind of like a second floor, like like railing. There's, you know, Barbara's up there and there's like other officers and everything like that. One uh, riot gear cop dude kind of shoves Blackfire and he, he tells her to move it. Connor like zips over in front of him. He's like back down. And then the other officer, um, Fletcher, he tells he's like, move in. And Barbara tells them she yells at them to stand down. So they start getting closer crowding them you know they got their shields and their baton they start like actually you know it starts turning into a shoving match and then they start like striking with the batons one starts shooting connor blocks uh the, the bullet but then the second one hits blackfire and she goes out so then connor this is you know bad new bad move his eyes go red. He grabs the officer by the neck and just like throws him against the wall. Starfire uses like some some fire, you know, just whoosh to kind of like you know push them back. Gar turns into a tiger. Um, then uh, Fletcher tells he's like shoot it, whatever. So Gar gets shot with a tranquilizer, and then he like climbs up to the second level and crashes through a window like out to the streets, I guess. Um, one riot officer throws like a grenade or something like that, but Connor zaps it with his heat vision. Corey's like, I have to get Blackfire out of here, you know, and Dick's like, you know, or Nightwing's like, you know, we'll, we'll distract him or whatever. Fletcher pulls out his gun and he's like, starts pointing it and Barbara's like, pulls her out. She's just like, Fletcher, she's like, lower your weapon. And he's like, he, he hears her, but he won't do it. So he's like, he's about to shoot. And then Barbara shoots him. And I think she shot him in the shoulder, but it's, it's not really clear. So now um, the only ones that are left is Nightwing and Superboy. And Nightwing is like, we have to get out of here. Cause, and then he drops like some smoke bombs. And then uh, uh, more officers are arriving. And then they zip out of there. So I'm assuming Connor like got them out. Corey and Blackfire, they went to a church. And uh, you know, so then they, they kind of sit. Corey puts her hand over Blackfire's like where she got shot. 
And then there's like a kind of like fire and energy, you know, starts going into black fire. So she's like healing her. Then she gets, but then it's like more and more and she gets up. Corey's like, what are you doing? And, and, and Corey's like, what did you do? Blackfire's like, I didn't do anything. She's like, you did. And Corey says, she's like, you took my power. And Blackfire's like, I was dying. And Corey says, like, yeah, and I was healing you and you took everything. And she's like, was this your plan all along to make me care about you, to get close to you so you could steal my powers? And Blackfire's like, why would you say that? And Corey's like, you tried to steal the throne and failed. Now everything you want can be yours. Blackfire's like, you, you know, you're being ridiculous. She's like, none of this is what I wanted. And she's like, what's it going to take for you to trust me? Then they hear like some screaming outside. Blackfire's like, you know, we can't just stay here. So she wants to find somewhere safe, just them. And then they can talk and, and fix whatever this is. And Corey's like, looks at her. She's like, I'm going to go help the others. And Blackfire's like, haven't you given them enough? It's like, you're a queen. You were never meant to be a soldier in another's army. Corey's like, they're family, not an army. And Blackfire's like, I'm your family. And Blackfire's like, what if you get hurt? Who will heal you then? And Corey's like, I'll take my chances. And Blackfire leaves. And Corey's, because she's like, she tells Corey, she's like, you're not the only one with unfinished business. So it's not clear if Blackfire meant to take Starfire's power or what this other business, like, is she going to go and get revenge for something else? So we'll have to wait for that. Barbara's talking to her, like, her second whatever in command. And she said, her her second says, she's like, I'm sorry. And, and then she's like, you know, I'm going to need your weapon. And then she's Barbara Gordon. You have the right to make silent, blah, 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 all that stuff like that. So she's getting arrested, I guess, for shooting the other cop. I, I don't know. This seems a little, little extreme. On the streets, people are looting. There's chaos. And then there's this girl, like, spray painting. You know, there's, like, the, the wanted dead or alive, you know, for all the, the, the titans. So she's spray painting over the live part. So it just says dead. And then, uh, then she flips it off. You know, she's flipping off the picture because she's so cool. And it's like, oh, I'm flipping off Titans. It's like, whatever. Donna gets to like a border at either like a, a bridge or a tunnel, like a checkpoint. There's like a soldier there and he asks her for identification. And she's like, oh, I don't have my wallet on me. And then this, uh, the officer's like, well, then you're going to have to turn around. She's like, Gotham is closed for business. This other soldier comes up. And he's like, is there a problem, ma'am? And she's like, first of all, ma'am you know that's a she doesn't like being called that and she's like you know I, I came a long way to get here and they tell her just to turn around or i'll take her in so then she, they don't even give her a chance to leave but like the the second one that arrived he pulls out a taser gun and like zaps her but nothing happens and then the other pulls out like a machine gun so she like kind of like hits him you know knocks him back takes the machine gun and like bends it and she's like are you gonna let me in now and then the, the guy he just like kind of steps aside it's like okay go ahead um, Gar wakes up in a warehouse and then his vision's all blurry and he sees Rachel walking towards him and he's like, did I die again? Or is this really real? And she's like, of course I'm real. And then he mentions that, that he has a hole where the dart shot him. And he's like, how'd you find me? And she's like, I could just feel your energy. And, you know, cause I think she went to the police station first or something like that. And then he tells her that Crane and Jason turned the city against them. Um, even the cops. And she's like, well, where are the others? He's like, I don't know. He's like, you know where are we because he doesn't even know where he's at dick and connor wonder where the others are connor wants to go home to the manor but dick's like jason and cop know about the about wayne manor he's like it's it's the one place we can't be um then connor wants to go outside and help people but dick's like you know i wish we could he's like our only job right now is not to get caught and then he like looks out a window he's like gotham city it's on its own 
Crane is walking in uh, Wayne Manor with Jason. He's like, oh, this is how the rich, or this is what a billion dollars gets you or whatever. And uh, then Crane says, you know, he's talking to Jason. He's like, you know, enough of the tortured hero bit. You know, it's time to enjoy the view. And he, he goes uh, to get a drink from the little, little bar or whatever there. And then uh, he's like, he's Crane says that they have to redecorate. You know, and he's starting with that. So like the picture of the, Thomas and Martha and little Bruce like over to the fireplace. And he like takes it down. Then he tells Jason, he's like, you should do the honors. And he gives him a knife to like cut the painting. He's like, time to finally pay back your father for the gifts he's given you. So Jason starts thinking back to like Bruce saying that he doesn't want him to be Robin. And then when he said that he was proud of him, I'm proud of you, son. And then he's, you know, all this stuff. Then he just starts stabbing the painting like violently. And Crane just like lounges back on, on the sofa and he's like drinking from a bottle. And he's just like, welcome to Crane Manor. And that's where it ends. Enough of Crane. It's freaking, freaking Scarecrow is like, yeah, he's such a dork. And he's like taking over. He has to die. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do unless something is going to happen and he somehow gets hit with a chemical and it puts him in a vegetative state. Because he knows too much, they, they got to do something about him. And they got to get rid of him because he's a weenie and he's just ruining everything. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. With Doom Patrol, um, so I'm going to talk about season three, episode three and episode four. Episode three is Dead Patrol. Rita, Cliff, um, Cyborg, and Jane, they're they're like on a, on a boat, like the river sticks. They're dead. Uh, they're starting to feel weird. And then they, they can like smell eggs or something like that. And then Cliff, Cyborg, and Jane collapse. And Rita's like, she's still standing and she, she doesn't know what's going on. The boat approaches the dock and there's like other cloaked people. So she's like, she fakes fainting. She's like, oh. <laughs> uh, then we see Larry sitting at the at the study at the house. The doorbell rings and there's like four cardboard boxes. It's kind of like they're like wet and dirty and they're addressed to current resident. So he opens one and there's a bunch of like the styrofoam peanuts and it stinks. He starts pulling back something. He's like, what is this yarn? And it's dead Rita. It's like her head, whatever. And then he opens up another box and there you see cyborgs in there. Next one's Cliff and then, then Jane. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he yells out to negative. So he's like, are you happy now? She's like, if you were here, I'd know what to do. He's like, now I've lost my friends. He's like, I wasn't even supposed to be here. So uh, the four of them are being wheeled to, to somewhere like these wooden wagon things, whatever. Then they're, they're, their wrists are bound and they're like hung on these hooks and they're on these racks. There's like all these other, it's kind of like a dry cleaners. You know, all these people are just like hanging from these hooks. Then, you know, Rita opens her eyes and she's like, I did this. She's like, that dumb resort was my idea. He's like, Niles gave me the key to, you know, my vocation or destiny or whatever or something. And she's like, and I went on vacation or, or something. Um, Cliff is now suddenly like some dream world. He's like walking down this road through like by like some woods and this like truck drives by this like pickup or whatever drives by and someone named RJ is driving. It's his dad. And then he's he, when Cliff sees him, he's like, oh, hey, dad, it's, it's me. What? And his dad's kind of surprised. He's like, he's like, yeah, I've, I've changed a little since you've seen me, whatever. Cyborg's like walk kind of going up this hill and like kind of falls on these like loose rocks, or whatever. And his, his moms are like in front of him, is like, Come on, son, whatever. So she's they're like on this hike together. Um, we see Kay walk up to this house and it's her Abuelita's house. And she, uh, Abuelita, like she like looks over her shoulder, she's a little concerned because Jane's standing back there. And Kay introduces them or whatever. She's like, This is my Abuelita. And um, Dorothy 
walks up to the house. She arrives in, at the Niles house with a backpack and she has a sparkly jack, whatever. Larry opens the door and he asks how the burial was. And, and then he says that he has a plan. So he ex- explains to her what happens. He brings Dorothy into the dining room and the four are seated at the table, like they're wrapped in his bandages. Cause he, you know, he says that, you know, the bandages help him, whatever. And then he's, he's like just really trying to deal with this and he's not, not doing so well. Like he makes Jane's body kind of like flip off the other. She's like, Oh yeah, that's just like Jane. Right. And Dorothy's like, why did you put, you know, your friend's dead bodies? You know, why are they seated at the dining room table? And, you know, he said that leaving them dead in cardboard boxes was weird and morbid. And she's like, they don't look weird and morbid now. So, and Larry sobs a little. He's like, I don't know. And she's like, well, maybe we should, you know, make some pancakes or some, you know, maybe I'll make it better. Larry's uh, mixing the batter. Then he hears like Rita's voice and her face kind of appears in, in the batter and he like drops the bowl. And he's like, you know, I think she might be in purgatory. And Dorothy's like, we need help. Then we see these two boys, um, this blonde Edwin and this uh, dark haired boy, Charles. They're with this girl, Crystal. And they're like, um, they have like English accents. They're like in this warehouse. There's like this puddle of blood. So they're they're the dead boy detectives. If you've ever read them, I don't know if they were they in uh, Doom Patrol because I know they were. I think they were in the issue of Sandman because I remember talking about that they're getting their own show. So Crystal is still alive. The the two boys are are dead, but she has like some sort of kind of like psychic powers or something like that. And then uh, the ambulance. So Danny pull, arrives there where they're at. And um, I think it was, uh, I don't remember if, if it, maybe it was Charles. One of them says that he's like, I know this ambulance. He's like, this is Danny. He's like, he used to be a street. And he's like, we should go. You know, it opens up. And he's like, we should go in. He's like, he's aces. And the other, I think it was Edwin. He's like, well, we're in the middle of a case. And then you see there's like this demonized dude like on the ceiling. And that's where like the blood is like dripping out of his mouth on, onto the ground. And then he's like, oh, he'll totally still be here when we get back. So Danny arrives at the house. Crystal, you know, walks out, and then the, the two boys just like walk through the side of the ambulance. They uh, comment when, when they go up to the door because like Larry and Dorothy are, are like, "Oh, look at this guy!" He's like, "And he's like, you can smell him." And Larry's like, um, "We can hear you." And Crystal's kind of surprised. She's like, "You can hear the boys." And Dorothy's like, "Don't be dotty. Of course we can." She's like, "You're ghosts, and you're standing right in front of us." And so Danny recommended them. They go in. Uh, Crystal's like, why did you wrap them in bandages? And Larry's like, I don't know, comfort. Then he asks, you know, why can he see them if they're ghosts? And apparently if you've been close to death or have seen extreme horror, you can see ghosts or something like that. And so Larry obviously has seen a lot of it. Crystal says to contact their friends, they're going to need like a personal item and a person to be a conduit. And it, it should be someone with a strong connection. Dorothy's like, well, Larry saw Rita in the pancake batter. So Cliff in his other whatever afterlife world, he's talking to his dad. He's like, this is your happy place. So they're, they're parked. And then his dad has like rifle. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if it's my happy place. Then these three like Pegasus fly by like in the air and he shoots one and Cliff's freaking out. He's like, what'd you just do? And everything like that. RJ's like, oh, you'll love it. They taste just like chicken. And Cliff's like, you know, they were beautiful and you destroyed it just like you destroy everything. And, you know, he, Cliff's like, he's like, I'm nothing like you. He's like, you know, I have a relationship with my daughter and I met my son and everything like that. And RJ's like, sweet, my, my sweet Clara had a boy. And he's like, what do you mean you're a sweet Clara? Jane and Abelita are talking about Kay. Kay's like outside spinning, whatever, in, in, in the yard, the lawn. They're just talking about different things. Victor and his mom are talking. Uh, he's talking about how 
his dad saved him after the accident and he's sort of been a superhero since he says sorry to her you know but causing the accident sort of whatever and she's like no she's like i'm living my best life here now and then he you know they start talking he starts talking about ronnie and he says that you know he likes her but she's in a lot of pain and you know she did some bad things he knows he's supposed to be a hero and he should be able to help her but you know he's not really sure what he can do at the house you know some items are gathered crystal's sensing something and she says it's like rita's there and also on the other side so then she tells larry to call out to rita and she starts talking through larry so she describes where they're at and edwin's like oh it sounds like they're in a tunnel of souls they're still being processed but then this like kind of trap door opens above rita and she gets grabbed by like some some guy so then they, they say they're going to leave because they did what they said you know they, they contacted the other whatever but then larry and dorothy convince crystal to help edwin says he's like you know don't forget you know you know that death is looking for us so he's like this seems like a good way to get her attention and edwin and, and charles finally agree to go with larry so he'll have to astral project so his soul can go to the to the afterlife or to the, whatever this place is to death so they, they hold up like this magic rolled up like magic eye poster thing you know where you have to concentrate you see it's a sailboat whatever chris was like what do you see so he's looking he's like oh it looks like a space shuttle or maybe who was holding it but then crystal i think i think crystal hit him in, in with a shovel and it is astral bodies like separated from his body they walk into this mirror and then they end up like walking through these dark woods rj cliff's dad is like gutting the pegasus is like hanging from a tree cliff doesn't believe that his his dad reconciled with you know his daughter clara and then he explains to cliff that you know they're not together forever that you know this is, isn't his this isn't cliff's afterlife he's like yours is is that way so then he's like oh, that's good or whatever like that so you know he he so it's almost like they have a chance here to, to make up but that's not going to happen so he starts walking and then uh he there's like it starts getting brighter or whatever and he looks down and he sees his toy car that he had that's one of the items that they were using to, to try to make a connection he picks it up and then it starts glowing in the real world so cliff wakes up in the hanging room now and then crystal holds up the car and she's like concentrating larry and the boys are still walking they they're about to enter the afterlife but the price to enter the, the through the door is like pain larry's like well he's like he's like i have pain but Edwin says that he has to be the one because there's this lever and he's the only one who's actually crossed over. Uh, Charles hasn't you know, crossed over yet and Larry isn't dead. So he touches this lever and when he does it, we kind of see like he's like all bloody. He's like running or being chased through like this hall or something like that. And he's just like, Ugh. you can tell like it's, it's hurting him or something like that. So this door opens and they go in. Jane and Abelita and Kay are singing a song and, and Kay is kind of like dancing. Then Abelita talks to Jane alone about, it's like, well, what are you going to do next? And Jane's like, well, she's happy. She's like, I, you know, I was, I was thinking that, you know, we could stay here with, with you. And uh, she's, Abelita's like, you know, I don't think that you can do that. And Jane's worried that, you know, she's going to fail Kay if they go back or something, whatever they do. And Abelita says that Jane can take the pain and make something out of it. And so Abelita show, shows her that you know, she made all these dolls of the different personas. And she says that she knew when she made the Jane one that it'd be the strongest. And then uh, and she's like, well, how would you know that? And Kay comes in and she's like, because that's her name too. So her Abelita's name is Jane. So it's time for Kay and Jane to go to their afterlife. So there's this door and you see like under the door, it's like it's bright. You know, there's a bright light. 
So they, they start going towards it. Then Kay's like, hey, look, it's your it's your paintbrush. She picks it up, and then Jane wakes up in the hanging place. And she says, she's like, I was supposed to be going to my afterlife. And Cliff's like, same. Edwin, Charles, and Larry, they're standing by a lake. And Larry tells Edwin that he notices that um, it seems that he and Charles like each other a lot. And, and he's like, oh, he's he's just my mate. He's like, don't be crass. He's like, it wouldn't be normal. And Larry's like, you know, I used to think like that. And he's like, you know, it's not 1916 anymore. And Charles, but then we see like Charles, he's, this is where he died, I guess. And he was stoned, you know, the kids were throwing rocks at him or whatever. And I, apparently he died of hypothermia and in the lake. Cyborg and his mom, they're gonna have to say goodbye. She shows him like his path. You know, he has to go this way. It's his, his afterlife. They they talk about a bunch of stuff, and she said that his father could have done something else when, when he saved him or whatever instead of turning him into a weapon. So Victor's walking. He sees his shoe, and then there's like a bright light, and the shoe's glowing in the real world. At In the real world, Crystal asks Dorothy, she's like, there's a piece of chocolate there. She's like, why is this here? Who is this for? And Dorothy's like, like oh, because she said she and her dad used to watch Willy Wonka all the time. So Dorothy and Crystal are talking about different things. And then Dorothy asks her, how did she meet the boys? And so Crystal was possessed by a demon for over a year and he did t- and made her do terrible things. The boys found her and she's like, the demon took things from me on, on the way out. So the demon took all the, her, the memories of her parents. So her mission is to find this David the demon, mess him up, and then take memories back. Cyborg wakes up in a hanging place and they wonder, you know, where's Rita? Maybe she escaped. So Cliff like frees his hand and he opens a trap door above him and he like peeks out and there's several like cloaked dudes up there. He's like, oh man, or something like that. Rita's like hiding in his hallway and she hears like Larry calling. So then they hug. Then they hear um, something, something else is coming. So they're going to get ready to fight and it's the others. So Cliff, he even has the head of one of the cloak things and Edwin's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And so this lady comes in who works for death She's like, oh, it's nice you came back. It's past bed check. And then uh, Charles tries attacking her. Then this, this, the guy, this guy with the melting face who kind of took Rita out, he comes and tells him to leave. And he asks Rita, he's like, do you, do you know who I am? Do you remember me or something like that? And then they leave and, and Rita doesn't know. She, so she wonders, like, who was that guy? She sees uh, the lady descend on him like on her way out. So they make it outside. They get in a boat. And the lady is like comes out. She's like shrieking, and and because she has like this kind of like spider predator type mouth, you know, just opens up. And then uh, Cliff just like double flips her off, and then she pukes up like all this green stuff at him. So it goes flying, and it hits them. And they're standing in a boat, and they just kind of look around. And Rita's like, "It's just vomit," and they're all like, "Yeah," and they're like cheering, <laughs> which is just gross. They wake up in a dining room and they're like struggling to get the bandages off and stuff like that. Uh, later, I don't remember how much time, like maybe it might be the next day or something like that. Rita asks Larry about space and she's surprised that he's back so soon. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't expecting it either. So he's like, I'm back minus a passenger. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Whatever. And she's like, well, I'll be okay. Then Larry asks about the guy, the, the melting face. Whatever. She's like, I have no clue. And um, then she starts thinking about uh, Madame Rouge rogue whoever uh that, that she saw at the when they're at the whatchamacallit the the lodge dorothy comes in she has an announcement she's leaving just for a little while she needs to find some things larry says uh to them that he hopes he basically to her and the dead boy detectives and crystal that he hopes they find what they're looking for 
Then he hears a woman humming, Madame Rogue, whatever she comes. They, they don't refer to her that. You know, they haven't called her that. That's just what, how she's listed in IMDb. So she walks down like the back stairs. She, she just like walks past him. And Jane's like, um, who in the sweet mercy of F are you? And then she turns and says, hmm, good question. Now, who would like some tea? And that's the end of the third episode. With the fourth episode, Undead, season three, episode four, Undead Patrol, Kipling, Kip is uh, at a hotel room. There's like a bunch of empty bottles. He has Niles' head on the table. He sewed like a speaker or something into his mouth. And then he lights some candles in front of him. He said some some words. And then Niles starts talking. And he is like, what have you done? Whatever. And, you know, he says that they have old friends to see. So then this like horse head pops out of the table next to uh, Niles' head. So this is, I guess, Baphomet. And Kip is talking. He's like under the table. He's like on his phone talking through Niles somehow. So he wants to know, like, he's like, oh, what do you think of Kipling or something like that? And, and stuff like that. And I forget what, what the horse, what she says. And then the door opens. And then he's like, wrong room, D-head. And then it then turns around and he's like, oh, F me. So it's like, who's in, who just came in? The hot water for the tea is ready. Uh, Jane wants to know, like, who who is she? Who's, you know, this lady? And she just says she wants to know when Niles will be back. So she won't answer the question. And then she notices, she's like, why are you all scratching like circus animals? And then she finally says that she can't remember her name or or why she's looking for Niles. But she's filled with an overwhelming and immediate urge to punch him in the face. And they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So she says she arrived by a time travel type capsule. So she has more than moderate degree of memory loss. And Cliff's like, BS. He's like, there's no such thing as time travels because if there were a certain sixth grade, um, what's it called? Ass hat or ass bag or something named Jimmy Decker would never have pulled his pants down in assembly. And he never would have had a nickname Cheeto Dick for six years. And Jane is like, that's what you'd go back in time to fix. And he's like, F yeah. So they don't, they, they go down they see the drill pod thing. It's like in the basement or somewhere. And Larry's like, what year did you come from? And she's like, uh, yeah, she doesn't know. Rita looks inside and she sees like the jumpsuit that she was wearing. But when, uh, you know, in, in the memory, when she pulled up the goggles, she had Rita's face somehow. So it's like, what is going on with that? Cyborg asks Rita, you know, when did the alarm thing goes off? And she's like, oh, the day before we went on our trip. And Larry said, which you completely ignored. And she's like, oh, shut up. She's here now. So, you know, this might have been why the thing went off. So she's like, it's time to answer our question. You know, her question is like, where's Niles Calder? And Cliff's like, he's deader than poop. <laughs> he's like, I love saying that. And then she like flings her teacup like back against the wall and like, ah, she, like screams. And then she calmly asks, well, how long? And they're like, oh, maybe like two weeks or so. She's like, okay, I'll just jump back in and, you know, time travel back then. Jane's like, you can do that? And she's like, it's a time machine. She's like, I could go back and talk to Adam and Eve if I wanted to. And while they're they're talking, Rita walks around and she like grabs like this, like a gauge or something like that. And she like kind of pulls it off the, the machine and like sticks it in her pocket. Cliff says that, you know, she might want to go back a little further because, you know, things were kind of crazy, you know, two weeks ago. And she's like, well, I'll go back three weeks. And then they're like, uh, we had a bunch of sex ghosts around then. And then she's like, what about four weeks or seven weeks? So it's like finally seven. They're like, yeah, that should be good or something like that. Then Cliff, um, he's like, tell him I said, uh, um, or tell him I said this. And he holds up his middle finger. He's like, he'll know what I mean. 
So she gets in the pod, hits some buttons, lights kind of flickered, engine hisses, and it kind of sputters off. And she opens the hatch, and she's like, okay, who's good with machines? And they all point at, at Cyborg. And he's like, lady, he's like, I only knew time travel existed like 10 minutes ago. And Cyborg's like, what about Cliff? He knows everything about fixing cars. And he's like, yeah. He's like, but I don't care about this, so she can just stay here. And Jane's like, Jane's not really crazy about her just like putting her lipstick on all her stuff. So like, I guess her lipstick came off in a teacup, maybe, I don't know. So this lady, she wants to see the alarm thing. And uh, Rita's like, I'll take you. She's like, no, she wants Larry to take him or something like that. And then, but Larry gets sick and like runs out of the room. Cliff tries talking, he's like, try talking to some doctor, like on a computer, like Zoom or something like that. But she thought that it was like, like some trick or something like that. You know, she doesn't want, she like hangs up on him. But what's weird, cause we see like this close up of like, Cliff's head, and it's almost like, is his head rusting on his, like, forehead? Jane's outside with, like, a wheelbarrow, and uh, Niles' wheelchair is out there, and then she puts, like, some straw and a pair of pants. So it's like, is she making a a scarecrow Niles? Cyborg is, like, trying to work on a pod. You know, he doesn't know what he do. He kind of scratches his arm, and he, like, you can see, like, metal underneath, and, like, his skin, there's, like, the bruise is, like, kind of spreading or something like that. Silasen walks in and he's like, what sort of, you know, experiment of Niles are you involved with now? And he's like, oh, this isn't Niles. And then he starts talking to his dad about, you know, choosing to put the stuff in Cyborg. And his dad's like, you know, he made choices and with what he had and, you know, he did what he had to do. Silas, he's like, you know, just like you made the choice to help Ronnie and now I've lost my job. He's like, what? And he's like, well, actually, I'm on administrative leave because it, it was his tech that cyborg used to help her he's like but that's not right that's not fair whatever and then he tells him that he called because two days ago he died and he talked to mom in the afterlife and silas kind of like rolled his eyes at this he's like she said that there was another way that you could have saved me he's like i want to know what that is and silas kind of stalling whatever and then he he finally says that he developed like a prototype for synthetic skin and cyborg's like so i could have looked normal and Silas insists that like everything he did was to protect him. And you know, he's like, it doesn't matter who you talk to or what you hear. Rita is showing uh Madame Rogue, whatever, the lady the, the phone thing, and she's still itchy. The the phone thing, like you there's the door's still kind of closed. It's like the one thing is open, but you, she can't get to the other one. So she wants to know why Rita's like sticking so close to her and whatever and Rita's decides she's like well what are we going to call you she's like what about Shannon she's like I always like that name and then Rita's like do I look familiar at all to you and then you know she doesn't Shannon doesn't think so but then she like she's tapping in the, in the, the shelf and she hits this like little panel in in the panel and there's like a keyhole there she's like ha so they turn the key and it opens this compartment like under the chest set like across the room and there's like a film canister inside. So Jane, she made like a, a scarecrow Niles. He's, he even has a, like a fake beard and all this stuff. So she says that she tried doing what uh, her Abuelita said and, you know, to make something from her pain, but it didn't work. And so, you know, Cliff comes, comes up and she's like, I'm just going to get high as F and burn it. And Cliff's like, you know, maybe you should try talking to it first. And she's like, when did you, you know, he says some stuff. She's like, when did you become Dr. Phil? And he's like, you know, being in the afterlife and telling off my dad helped. He says that he also got to tell off Niles when he was a ghost. And she's like, I could have talked to him. 
And he's like, maybe you still can, you know, just talk to the, the scarecrow or whatever. Larry's in a greenhouse. Rita comes in. She's like, I need to talk, whatever. And she says that there was another her at the resort that she shoved her back into the lounge and she was wearing the jumpsuit that was in the, the time pod. And she's like, what if I'm a renowned, re- re- world-renowned time traveler? And But then it's like what she's saying is her face is starting to blemish a little bit in spots. And uh, he's kind of like harsh with her or whatever. Then he sighs and he's like, I'm dying. And she's like, again? He's And he says that, you know, he's been puking up blue crap all morning. And since he doesn't eat or drink anything, you know, it doesn't seem like that's a good thing. Then he says that, you know, he loves her not too much to be honest. So she starts, now see here, Larry Trainer, And then um, she's like, wait, what, what's on your bandages? Because his, his bandages are like getting dirty and stuff like that. So they're looking, they, they kind of look like mold or whatever. So he, he holds up a mirror and then she's looking in the mirror too. And she's like really close to, you know, so she can see. She's like, you smell delicious. And she's like, she's like, do you have a ham in your pocket? He's like, no. And then she like licks his head, like his bandage head or whatever. And she's kind of like shocked that she did that. And he's like, uh, did you just lick me? And she like shakes her head no. She's like, no. And she like rushes off. Shannon is watching the film and then like says Sisterhood of Dada presents, D-A-D-A. And then the title is Woman Petting Cat. So there's a woman sitting in a chair and then the screen says Shelley Byron as woman and Lord DeMille as cat. It's like, okay. Cyborg's working on, uh, you know, he's looking at, at his, his body. He sees his arm is bleeding through his, his sleeve. And, uh, you know, he pulls up the, the he pulls up the sleeve and, and the skin kind of like sticks to it. And it's just like nasty. Rita, meanwhile, she's like, she's uh, brushing her teeth. And, you know, her face is like worse. There, she scratches her head and then a clump of hair comes out. So she screams. She's like, Larry, whatever. He hears her. He rushes upstairs, but then he stumbles and he like falls back. Shannon's watching more of the film and she gets up and starts doing some sort of like dance routine thing. It's like, what the heck is this? Then she sits back down. So it's like, okay, that makes no sense. Jane and Cliff are in the kitchen and uh, she's like scrubbing her arms and then like, she like sneezes and coughs and a bunch of maggots land on the counter. And she's like, I don't feel too good. And Cliff says that she's like, you don't look too good either. And then her eyes go white. And Cliff, like, he shuts down. And then Larry wakes up at the bottom stairs. His neck is kind of broke, whatever. He tries, like, fixing it. But then it kind of just, like, lops over again. So Shannon's still watching a movie. Then uh, the cat in the lady's lap turns into a bird and flies up and turns into Shannon. Like so now she's so Shannon's in the movie standing next to the other woman that's sitting. The sitting woman gets up and then they both start doing that dance thing that she just did. So then she starts it's like maybe she starts remembering something. She calls out to everyone. She's like, I know who I am. She's like, I'm a bird and I can fly, I think. And the others are in the hallway and then they're like brains and they're turned into zombies. So the doorbell rings and they're like, Brains? Kipling shows up and he asks, he's like, what happened to you morons this time? So they're like, bleh, 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 but it's like subtitled. So we can understand what they're saying, even though it doesn't make any sense. So he has a videotape and he goes up to uh, Laura Shannon and he's like, you know, I need something, you know, that this will run on. So they, he watches it with her. They go in like that little office room, whatever the others are like outside, like pressed up against the, the glass windows and everything. And then uh, some dude 
has Niles' head and a knife, and he's asking for a ransom. And you know he's he's talking about like torture and cyborgs like bah, bah, bah. you know he's like how do you torture a dismembered head? So the guy that, that took the head, his name is Darren, and they ask how he got it. And Kip admits that he had it first, and Darren took it from him. So he's the guy that walked in on his hotel room, whatever. He's like, there's a lot of information in his head, and then he asks Shannon, he's like, and who are you? And she's like, I'm Laura Demille, and then she's like, that head may be the key to unlocking my memory. So they they have to rescue it. Cyborg says, mumbles or whatever, that Darren probably wants revenge because they messed up the Bureau of Norm- Normalcy. I don't really remember Darren so much. So maybe it was like a season one thing. I don't know. Um, but then they asked like Kipling, like, did he does he have a plan? He said he had a good one, but their dumbness jammed the spanner or jammed the spanner up up his arse, and now they're zombies. So he lights like a match or some weird thing, like a joint or I don't know what it was. And then he like kind of like rips up a portal into the air. So he goes in there. They all follow him. And then uh, he and Laura are wearing like hats that are like protected with something like that. So I guess it's supposed to mask their their brain smell so the, the others won't want to eat them. He tells Laura uh, that he doesn't know her, but he gives her something to hold. He says it's like petrified dragon piss or something like that. Then he goes off and he says to the other, he's like, this way, Solomon Grundy's. So they go into this barn. Kip is like, starts looking at the sketchbook things. He's like, he kept the serial killer diary. Then Darren walks in and he says that, or these are like brains, whatever. And Cyborg says, he's like, I don't smell anything. <laughs> and he wants to tell them a story about a man who was on top of the world they all kind of groan, and he's like, oh, because he's just talking to him. He's like, he had it all, a career, a beautiful wife, children, whatever. So then Laura, she held, stayed back. She's on top of the barn looking inside, like through a hole in the ceiling. And then she's like, I'm a bird, and I can just fly down there. And so I guess she's supposed to put the, the dragon, petrified dragon pee on the guy's head or something like that. And then she's like, transform but nothing happens and she keeps saying transform and then eventually she turns into an ottoman and it kind of like crashes through the floor and then like the the, the dragon piece stuff when it hits the ground it just goes, goes just like kind of like fizzles out then he wants to ask uh about the the worst part so kip he he finally does and then uh just Dar- so darren bends over drops his pants and then his butt kind of his butt crack kind of spreads apart and he's a wear butt. <laughs> he howls and a bunch of more wear butts. So instead of werewolves, they're all, they're basically butts with feet and like razor sharp teeth and a sideways mouth. They start fighting and the, you know, Laura turns back into herself. She tries grabbing the Niles head, but one of the butts grabs it. And then the others are kind of like eating the butts, but Rita's like hesitant Larry gets a chainsaw. Kip has a flaming sword. Laura almost gets ahead, but then Kip grabs it. The others are, are looking at them. So they bought, and they both lost their protective hats. So now they can smell their brains. So they, they run through the portal thing, and then Kip's about to squash like the, the burning whatever thing that opened the portal. But Laura's like gets him to stop. She's like, what about them? And he's like, well, she's like, you know, Niles says that he can save them. And uh, he, he tells them that years ago, he discovered zombies crave brains because the brain produces a rare chemical that can actually cure the affliction. 
So the truth was bastardized by filmmakers because they felt it made better cinema. Then Kip realizes that Niles wants to feed himself to that pack of morons. And Niles is like, they're my family. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm all, it's all that there's left to do or something like that. Kip says, he's like, well, the thing is, I don't think I can do it. You know, he doesn't think he can feed them to him. He's like, you know, we've had some good times. And so he makes this other portal. And then Niles uh, tells him, he's like, you know, he's so he's going to leave. And Niles like, you know, Baphomet really loves you. He's like, just don't try to smother her. So Laura's left with Niles' head. And she tells him what she knows, her name, you know, being part of the sisterhood of Dada, being a bird and an ottoman. The only thing that she knows is she needs to find him. And he says that he knows her all too well, he's afraid. So then she's like, well, you know, he doesn't want to tell her like how he knows her or what, what he knows, but he says that he'll make her a deal. So he has documents with information about her. And he says, you know, give him her word that she'll feed his head to his people, stay the hell away from them. And he'll tell her where the documents are. So he's like, I must be out of my mind to trust you. And, you know, she doesn't understand why he has so much venom for her. She's like, I'm not a bad person, am I? She's like, you know, I, I feel like that's not something that you could forget. You know, it's just like part of like who you are. And because, um, you know, she just she doesn't feel like a bad person. So he he just asks, like, do you agree or not? So there's like a rope tied to the door. So she opens it from afar and then kind of runs out the room. You know, the, the others, the zombies are there. They start heading towards Niles and then Niles starts talking to Jane as she picks him up. And even though she's a zombie and everything, she has a tear in her eye. And, you know, there's, like, so much to say, and she, like, sniffs. Then his brain, she's like, it smells so freaking good. And he's like, it's okay, I love you. He's like, I want you to eat me, eat me, eat me. And then she finally chomps. And then Cyborg takes a bite, and then the others, like, all follow and start eating him. So then next we see they're all better. Rita's like pouring like mouthwash or something like that. It's like martini glasses and hands them out to them. Cliff's like, he's like, so are we cannibals now? And he, he's also curious what it tasted like because, you know, he, he, even though he was shoving in his robot mouth, he couldn't taste it. So they're just like trying to get him to stop talking. Then Larry says, he's like, well, you know, he's like the, the one upside was that all I cared about was eating brains. It, it was, it was sort of peaceful. He's like, does anyone else feel the same? But no one says anything. Then we see this old document. It's a memorandum for the Bureau. Subject, Laura DeMille, February 9th, 1949. Laura DeMille is a disloyal and self-serving cancer to be excised. It is my strong recommendation that, is she, that she is to be terminated immediately. And it's like signed, warmest regards, Niles Colder. So it almost looks like she's a little upset to, to find this out. Outside, Jane's burning the Scarecrow Niles, and she's been crying. And then she starts chuckling, like, eat me. And then she yells at, eat me. Cliff is looking online. He's looking at symptoms of Parkinson's. And he's taking like a like a questionnaire thing. He's like, you know, clicking on checklists, like symptoms he has, whatever. But then on the side of the page, he sees like an, an ad for like an online pharmacy. No prescription necessary. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's going to be like legit. Larry notices that there's like a bump on his stomach. So he unravels like the bandages and there's like this little bump under and he starts like gagging and like he's in pain. And he, there's more blue vomit. So it's like, is he pregnant? It's like, what's going on? 
Cyborg's looking in the mirror. Then he holds up like this other mirror, like to his face. So it's like half of his face. It almost like so it's like mimicking like he had a normal face. Laura's watching the film again. Rita enters and asks if Niles gave her to her answers and she's going to be leaving them. But Laura's just like silent, doesn't say anything. And Laura's like, you're a guest in our home, but that doesn't give you the right to ignore my questions. And she says she knows that they know each other. And Laura kind of lets out a little sob. And Rita's like, well, maybe this isn't a good time. And she's like, I just made some oatmeal cookies. Would you like one? And, and Laura's like, that would be nice. And she's like, thank you. And she like sighs. And then she sees like another person in the film. So it's like Rita is like kind of off to the side. It wasn't really clear if it was like a reflection or what, because it's you know black and white. And she's like kind of doing like the same moves too that they were doing. So it's like, what's going on there? And then kind of like mid-credit, you see like the remains of all the whereabouts. And then one got away and is running down the road. And then it's, it must be a zombie whereabout because it's like brains. And it's like headed to Cloverton. That's where that episode ends. So it's a good show. I, I really dig it. And it, it's just, it's so weird and bizarre. And it, it's almost like surprising that they're doing what they're doing. And, and that's why, you know, people should be watching this. Okay, then uh, Star Wars Visions. So I mentioned it last week that I was going to talk about it because I think I'd, I'd watched, I think I watched two episodes before last week. And I totally forgot when I recorded the podcast. And then I was like, okay. I'll watch all the episodes uh, because how many episodes are there? There's nine episodes. I was like, well, I mean, they're, I think they're like like around 15 minutes or so. I was like, I'll watch them and then talk about it on this episode. I only watched four episodes. I only watched two more. It's, I feel like there's been so much to watch this week. I don't know. It's just been a crazy week. So I'm just going to kind of briefly talk about it. I'm not going to go into like spoilers. This is what happened or whatever. Just kind of like my thoughts on them. I think it's it's a really neat idea, and I'm I'm really I'm really happy, and I'm surprised that Lucasfilm is is doing this because to me it always feels like they're very protective of their property, which is is a good thing. You know, I, I feel like they they should be. You know, you want to protect the you know the franchise and everything like that. But you know, they they do allow the Lego movies, which are really goofy and just totally poke fun and everything. So I, I maybe it's it's not that much of a surprise. But with the Star Wars vision, so basically it's allowing other creators and, you know, they're, they're mostly, you know, Japanese anime studios to give their take or show their perspective on this Star Wars universe. And it's, it's kind of like a mixed, mixed bag, I think. You know, so each each episode is like a different studio. I, I mean, there might have been a couple. You know, they might have done more than one episode or whatever. But each one is is kind of a totally different take. And and the, so that's the neat thing about this is you know you can watch them in any order, and you know you don't have to watch all of them or whatever. And it's, it's just a, a way to see these different um, characters, these different whatever stories, loosely set in the Star Wars universe. Now they do take some liberties with some things and you know, some things are like, okay, this can't happen, but it's kind of like a neat. It's, so it's a little different than, it's not like a, what if, but which that would be cool. I would love to see a, what if star Wars? Uh, I don't know how long that could go. Cause you know, in the comics we had star Wars infinities, which I, I would recommend that if, if you 
can find, I don't know if those are in print or digital, if you can find those, but it was kind of like a what if idea. So these are just totally different. So like the first episode is the duel. This one was really cool. It was really, really uh, stylized and everything. You know, we have this dude, he's kind of like a Ronin, whatever, and he's in this village. And then some like uh, Imperial troops or something like that, these stormtroopers come and they're kind of like threatening the town. And then there's this like Sith lady that, that comes out and, and she's this really cool character design, really cool character. And it's almost like their, their lightsabers are kind of like swords because, you know, they, they actually have like sheaths where they like pull out their lightsabers, which is like a cool touch. And then this dude ends up like fighting her. And uh, so that, that's, that was just really cool. The second episode, Tatooine Rhapsody, it wasn't for me. And, you know, maybe some other people would, would like it. I didn't really like it so much. Part of it is, uh, so you, you have, like, different builds. So, like, a lot of the characters, they almost look like they're kids. So it was like, wait, is this a kid? Or is this just the style of all the characters? But where it's a little confusing, like, with the timeline, because the, the one character, it's like he was a Padawan. But it feels like that this is taking place, like, um, I can't remember if it was, like, before Episode 4 or after Episode 6. But it's like there were no Padawans. But that, that's besides the point. And then he's like in his band. And and you hear like the band's music. And it's it, it, to me, it was a little cringy. You know, again, some people might like it. I didn't really like it so much. But then part of the thing is, I, I if I remember correctly, I think uh, one of the band members was wanted by Jabba. So Boba. So the cool thing is Boba Fett's here. And they, they come to 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 get this one whatever character and stuff like that, and then it's it's kind of like well can you know can we do like a last request and you do one more gig you know before whatever. Uh, the third episode's the twins. This was a kind of a, a cool episode. The one thing just really bothered me, which is like a, not that big of a deal, I guess. But you have these two, uh, these twins and a boy and a girl. They're like in these like sort of like Darth Vader outfits, you know, with masks and everything like that. One's I don't know if I said one's a boy and one's a girl, and they're about to have a weapon that could like destroy planets. So kind of like a like a Death Star, but smaller. Um, one of them, I won't say who, decides to steal like the power source. So it's almost like maybe they're having a change of heart and and don't want to be evil and destroy planets. So the two start fighting, but then they end up fighting like outside the Star Destroyer. So they're like in space. And at some point, like even like the, the armored thing comes off. So it's like somehow they're breathing in space. At first I was like, okay, maybe you can use the force to protect yourself or whatever. But it's like, this goes on forever. And plus the fact that they're like yelling at each other and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, there's some some cool moments, some cool fight scenes, but that part. Then uh, there was the village bride where this young couple, you know, they're about to get married. But part of the thing was, after they get married, the bride is the, the bride is sort of became like the 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 leader of the village because I get I think her dad died or was killed or something like that maybe by these evil I don't think they're they're imperial but they took a bunch of battle droids they somehow found some and got control of them and they also have a Sith because they all have Sith but there's this uh, this other um, couple Jedi or Sith that are are seeing all this. And they're seeing that 
this couple is going to get married and then she has to willingly sacrifice herself for the safety of the village and that doesn't really fly with her. And so then it goes from there. So, I mean, that one was, 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 it was a neat episode as well. Um, I'm curious about the next one, the ninth Jedi. I, I don't really know what that's about. And then there's a TOB one, the elder lop and Ako Acho and then a Kakiri. So, it's, it's really cool. Like I said, you know, it's it's nothing canon, obviously, but it's cool to see just these different takes on them. And so I, I kind of like that uh, that they're they're doing this. Okay, then Midnight Mass came out on on Netflix, and uh, so this is the show is created by Mike Flanagan. So he did uh, he did the 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 haunting of Bly Manor and haunting of, of Hill House. I think he did those shows, right? And um, this show has nothing to do with those. So there's there it's this is this isn't this isn't like a ghost story like like the other ones. And this is just seven episodes. I haven't finished watching it. And this is the other crazy thing. So I mentioned earlier how this this week somehow I don't know I really don't know what happened to all my time and how I couldn't keep up with all this stuff. I started watching it last weekend and I, I was really digging it. And and then, you know, after the end of the week, the weekend, you know, I, I only watched the first five episodes. I was like, okay, so I just have two more to watch during the week. So like, no problem, I, I can do that. Nope. <laughs> Didn't get a chance to watch them. Then I was like, well, I'll watch them Friday night. Nope, because <laughs> I, you know, doing I do the awesome art picks on entertainmentfish.com, and then I also didn't finish my weekly digital art post because you know I so I I tried drawing something and posted on my Instagram Gman for Mech every Saturday, and I started doing I forget when I started doing that, I I I was up till like it was like two or two thirty because it was like midnight just after midnight when I finished or maybe it was like 1230 or maybe it was maybe I don't remember it was like 1230 12 almost like one when I finished the art post and then I had to finish my art or the art awesome art picks post and then I had to finish my digital art anyways so this show is, is really good it has a uh, Zach Guilford he's I, is he the, I guess he's the main character. I would say he's the main character. He's uh, Matt Saracen, Matt Saracen from uh, Friday Night Lights, and so it's it's cool to see him here. He's a really good actor, and you know just there's the the stuff that he has his character goes through and everything like that. And while <laughs> you could say in some ways, you know, the, the character he's he's kind of closed off, you know, just like dealing with with everything like that. So it's like, oh, you just have to sit there and be moody or quiet but but no i mean he just he really uh delivers that and um you know kate siegel who was in she was i think she was in in uh the other one of the other um whatchamacallit at the house haunting whatever thing and i guess um i'm just looking this i just clicked on over her name on on wikipedia and i guess uh, she's actually married to mike flanagan so which makes sense that you know she's she's done other things with him then there's just so many um Raul Kohi Kohli. So he he's um he's done some stuff. He he's in this. He was in iZombie. I actually think I interviewed him when I did iZombie interviews. Anyways, you don't care about that stuff. <laughs> who who I talked to, who I didn't. Uh so this I don't even know how you would explain this. And part of the thing is I don't know 
what happens in the final two two episodes. This is just a it's a crazy show, and I'm I'm not gonna go like full blown spoilers episode by episode because I one I feel like you really need to watch it, and it's either you're interested or you're not. And if you're not interested, hearing me break it down, I don't think it's gonna do it justice. And it, it's different if you're like, yeah, I like Stargirl. I don't have time to watch it. So just just tell me what happens and, you know, maybe I'll catch it, you know, down the road at some point or something like that. So that, yeah, that's a little different where you're familiar with the characters. But here, you know, you don't know them. So it doesn't make sense. Um, the synopsis is it's on, on Wikipedia. It says the series is about a, quote, small, a small isolated island community whose exist, existing divisions are amplified by the return of a disgraced young man and the arrival of a charismatic priest. So that's um, <laughs> that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface because it, it's in I, which I don't want to give specific episode numbers, but one episode, something pretty crazy happens to like a big character. I'm just like, holy crap. And it's just kind of like, you're just kind of like blindsided. You don't see that. But then there's, it's like, okay, wait, maybe it's, it's not, okay, maybe this will happen. This, it'll be fine. And then something else happened. And then just like, okay, crap again, double, triple crap. It's like, how do you, you, how do you walk away for, get you know, there's no, you can't fix this, this time. So spoilers, something happens at the end of the fifth episode. I still have two more, and there's still like secrets. Um, it's like I I don't know where it's gonna go. I'm like so eager and excited to watch this. I've been thinking about it all week. I was like, I gotta watch these episodes. I gotta watch these episodes. But I was like, no, I gotta watch. Not not that it's a bad thing. But I, was like, I gotta watch Why the Last Man. I gotta watch Star Girl. I gotta gotta. I have. I still had the two episodes. I had the last week's episode of Doom Patrol. The third episode I had to watch that plus this week in Titans. And in all the comics, so I still haven't watched it. <laughs> I'm so eager and excited to, to to check it out. I'll kind of go through like the first episode, and all the episodes are like uh, books from from the Bible. Like the first episode is Book One, Genesis. So we we see this uh, car accident in Chicago is like a head-on collision, and you know paramedics are trying to resurrect this or you know resuscitate this girl, and then um, Riley Flynn, who's played by Zach Guilford, who's Matt Saracen. I, I can't say his last name for some reason. He's like sitting on a curb, like watching. And it turns out he was like drunk. And, and you know, he's looking at, at this girl and then they stop trying. And then he looks and he starts like praying. And then the, the paramedic working on him. And he's like, why don't you ask him, you know, while you're at it, why don't you ask him why he always takes away the kids and the drunk a-holes get to walk away. So he goes to court. Um, and there's like people, you know, wearing like shirts and T-shirts for the dead girl and everything like that. He accepts yes, the sentencing. He's going to be incarcerated for four to ten years. And and the, uh, uh, did I mention this was like outside of Chicago? So he's going to be taken to the Illinois Department of Corrections. Um, you know, the girl's mother is upset, obviously. Um, the restitution. This is what was just like kind of like shocking. Whatever. The restitution owed to the victim's family is one hundred forty thousand nine hundred dollars and eleven cents. So not really sure what that is is for is like so is that the girl's life is that what she's worth and you know it was an accident he was you know if he was drinking there's no excuse but it's just weird the idea of i i don't know is this a common thing where they, they put the you know a restitution and i i could see it's like okay you need to pay for you know burial costs and, and stuff like that and i i thought at some point they, they maybe i don't know if this is a thing where they look at like the 
the person's potential salary out. I mean, maybe that's different if you had a family. Like, oh, if this person would have lived, they would have gotten a job and they would have made this much money. I, I thought that came up recently. Anyways, so he, he um, he's in jail. He gets a, pa- I don't know if it's like his first day, he gets a package. It's like letter and pictures of him and his family. And then there's a, like a Bible from his mom. And this is like the kind of creepy thing. Cause you're looking at all this, it's like, okay, this is, this is not a ghost story. This is pretty straight, whatever. Um, he lays down on his cot and then he sees the dead girl. You know, she's, so he's like sideways and it's really cool. I, I feel like I've explained this like two or three times as I'm t- telling people, uh, telling people in my house is like, Hey, you got to watch this. Uh, but as, as he like lays down, the camera kind of goes with you. So, you know, he's really laying down, whatever, but then you see that like, you see the dead girl. So it's like, it's almost like she's standing, but she's lying down or whatever. And there's like parts of her face that are like, it's hard to describe. It's almost like there, there's like holes or like there's bloody, but then like with, within that, there's like flashing lights from the, the EMT lights, you know, and, and the police squads or whatever, just flashing. So you, you just see it and, and it's like kind of reflecting on his face. You can see that there's a light flashing in his, in his um, face. And then the dead girl, she's just like, you know, not like moving or like a ghost or anything like that, but she's just like eyes open looking at him and, you know, he just goes asleep. You know, or he, I don't know if he goes to sleep, but he's just like staring at her. So it's just like, that's kind of like Creepsville right there. Four years later, he um, he's released. So he, he grew up on this place called Crockett Island. And I'm curious if if it's, I, I doubt it's a real island. I they probably made it up. But the population is 127. So there's like only two fairies that, that come like twice a day or whatever like this. And uh, this, this lady, um, Annie, is talking to Riley on the phone about coming tomorrow um so i think it's his mom uh his dad ed doesn't want to talk to him on the phone because he like you know it's just they're at the dinner table whatever he goes like outside to smoke a cigarette and then whatever and then he has a younger brother warren he goes out and uh you know he did okay this doesn't matter so you know there's stuff with the brother whatever and then uh there's like other stuff that happens um when he he comes back Oh man, there's just so much that, that happens because they're yeah. But when when he he comes back, the priest was supposed to return. He was like on a, like on a walkabout, like that the the parish is that what you call them? They they paid for this trip, to, I think, to go to like Jerusalem or whatever. And you know he he ended up not coming on that ferry. So you know when Riley comes, you know his mom meets him. Uh, she says his dad would have been there if he could, but times are, are tough. And there's some stuff that with like I think there's there's something like a mandate because so his dad fishes because you know there's not much you can do on the island. And there's like mandates I think like how much you can fish or whatever. And I think there's talk of like like of a, I don't know if there's an oil spill before or something like that. And uh, you know there, there's this this storm coming and um, we see some other characters. So there's one character Aaron. She's like. 20 weeks pregnant and it turns out she and Riley like dated each other when they were like teenagers or something like that. And then there's this, so she's a school teacher cause her mom was a teacher. She came back to the Island and uh, there's this other teacher, Miss Keen, Bev- Beverly Keen. She's, she's pretty wicked, but she's like super like religious and everything like that. Like she was at the dock, like waiting for, you know, to greet the priest or whatever. And when he didn't show up and stuff like that. So at dinner, you know, um, or, you know, Riley's all quiet and everything like that. At dinner, he finds out that Aaron's back in town teaching, you know, cause her mom was a teacher before she died. And uh, then, like, the mom talks about going to church tomorrow, and Riley says that he wasn't planning on going. And the dad's, like, silent the whole time. 
Um, then, uh, so this is where we find out that the, the priest, they call him Ma- Monsignor, Monsignor Pruitt, which I guess, is that something in the Catholic church? <laughs> so he went on his pilgrimage and, you know, so he was, he was like 80 and, you know, Riley makes a joke to his brother cause he was an altar boy, but you know, when he was a kid and he said that, you know, he, he did it just for the chicks cause his brother's an altar boy now. Um, cause he's like, you know, chicks dig, dig a uniform or like that. And then dad finally talks, like slams on, he was like, that's not funny whatever and and then you know he, he later because there's a riley also says something like you know church isn't for for him he, then he he says that you know he's so he talks to him later in his room and there's like some boxes in his room stuff like that and his mom's like, like oh your dad's been kind of using it for storage or whatever so his dad talks to riley later and i know i'm kind of jumping around a little bit but you know he says that he's going to church and every other sunday he's like he doesn't care if his heart is in it or not but he's like consider it part of his parole because you know it's a big deal to them and to his mom, and I th- at one point he's he says something about you know and and you know don't take communion because you know out of respect you know you can you can just sit back and he's like you sitting back is gonna you know break your mother's heart or she's not gonna understand but you know it's it's the right thing to do and stuff like that. So um, also what happened is someone else came to the island carrying this trunk. It's like who is this? Because um, then Ms. Keene, she goes to the Monsignor's house and she like knocks and she lets herself in. She has keys and she assumes he's home because she saw the lights on and she sees like the trunk in there. And she's like just blabbering on, going on about how he made her look standing at the docks like, you know, she's waiting for a prom date or I think something like that. And, you know, she comments on on the sheriff. So it seems like she's racist because, you know, the, the sheriff is is Muslim. And, uh, you know, so she just, she's constantly stuff comes, comes out Then she looks at like the str- straps on a trunk. So she's like about to go there. And then this dude walks in and she's like, Oh, so, you know, there's this like this younger dude, whatever. And, uh, you know, that it's like, who is, who is this guy? And what was in the trunk? And, you know, stuff happens, whatever, you know, and the, at church, you know they're they're, they're kind of expecting the, the regular priest, but there's this younger dude, and his you know he says his name is Father Paul Hill. He was sent to fill in for Monsignor Pruitt for a few weeks. He fell ill on his trip. They're like he's fine, or he says he's fine, but he's recovering in a hospital on the mainland. And he assures him there's you know nothing to to worry about. I think there's like maybe like less than thirty people. You know, as I tried quickly counting or whatever. They do communion, and you know Riley stays back, and his mom's like like hey come on, and you know he's like no no, so they they do all that. And then uh, uh, Bev, you know, she, she says she caught Father Paul up on how, how, you know, things are or whatever. So she seems to approve of him. Father Paul, like, kind of greets everyone on the way out. And, and he mentions uh, to Riley, he's like, oh, I noticed you, you know, sit back during communion. And his mom starts saying, he's like, well, he's, and then Riley's like, I'm not exactly in a state of grace right now. And Father Paul's like, hey, look, he's like, I think that's great. He's like, uh, it turns out I'm not much used to people who are in a state of grace. And he says something like, you know, Jesus was like that too. He went straight to those who weren't in a, a state of grace. He's like, they were his favorite people, you know, ones he called friends. Uh, and, you know, and Aaron uh, walks up to Riley and then, you know, he asks if he can walk her home, whatever. And, you know, there's other stuff going on and, you know, they, they kind of catch up and, you know, he's like, she asks, like he said that he was in Chicago, um, whatever, and you know, doing like startups and stuff like that. You know, because she got married, she you know she was in upstate New York, because uh, there was like I guess some debate like when she left, you know, like what what happened, or whatever. 
she said that she like went south and then west or whatever. She was in Austin for a while. She joined with the rock band. And she asked him, so, you know, he's like, he was in Chicago, but, you know, there's no rock band involved. Uh, he went to school, partied too much, you know, made a lot of money for a bit with like stocks in a startup. She asked if he were married and he says no. And he's like, what about her? She She's like, well, yes, technically, but it's over. She's like, it's a long story and, and stuff like that. But then um, she said she also noticed that he sat back in church and he said that, you know, m- most people find Jesus in prison, but he threw away the Bible the first night. But he's like, but I, I did go looking, you know, there's a lot of time to read in there. He's like, I tried it all, Torah, Quran, Talmud, Tao Te Ching, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, Jainism. He said he was looking for God and he knew he should look everywhere, but it turns out he's an atheist. And then, you know, she mentioned she's pregnant and he's like, oh, I bet that's a story. And she says it is and it isn't, but it turns out it saved her life. So there's other stuff going on. And so like all of this, you know, if you, you go with that, it's like, okay, this, this doesn't sound that creepy or maybe whatever, but there's with, unfortunately, a lot of times whenever there's like a priest, you know, a lot of times things get a little creepy or whatever, like what's going on. And, you know, you're, you're still not really sure what's going on. The end of the first episode, you know, because there was this big storm on the island. Uh, at one point on island, you know, uh, Riley looks out and he sees, he thinks it's it's the Monsignor because he always wore this like coat and hat. And, you know, no one else, his his family didn't see him. He goes out to the beach and he sees this guy and he's like calling out to him. And then he just like r- runs away from him, like down the beach. The next day, um, the phone lines are out. So, and then uh, the dad like wants to check on the boat and make sure everything's fine. So as they're going to, uh, Riley's like, what's, there's like, well, he notices like a bunch of birds like circling on the beach. So he's like, what, what's that over there? They look, there's like all these dead cats uh, on, on the beach. Cause there's this part in the, they call it the upwards, the other part of the island. So now I don't know if this is making any sense, but like Warren had gone there with his buddies, uh, you know, smoke some pot or something like that and, uh, and stuff. And you know, there's all all these like stray cats that were there and everything. And there, it's almost like there's something on the island too. Oh, there's because there's one part. So, gosh, I shouldn't have skipped this. Uh, as as they're walking to a certain spot where they're gonna go and like make a little fire and stuff. Like one of the one of the uh, Warren, the, the brother, one of his friends. He's like, did you see it? It's like something flew by because he like he heard it. It's like this big wingspan or something like that. But then there's like all these cats and you know they have like flashlights and you know so you see like glowing eyes. And at one point, Warren, they or they they hear some noises like, and they're like, "Oh, the cats are fighting." And this other guy, his, I think his name is Uker. He's like, "Wait." He's like, "No, they're they're not fighting. They're doing something else." And then and they kind of laugh about it, or whatever. And you know, and then Warren shines his light, and then there's like eyes like high up above, like a person's eyes. And then it like it takes off, and then he like he just got a glimpse of it, and then he's like that his mind's playing tricks on him so there's something there and with all these dead cats because in the second episode the sheriff's looking at the cats and he's talking to the mayor and he thinks that you know maybe they're disease you know he's he wants people we should keep people off the island whatever but he also noticed like the cat's neck is broken and there's no blood anywhere like inside or on the beach so he's not really sure what's what's going on and then you know he uh they find out that, you know, Riley thought he saw Monsignor Pruitt and everything. There's like all this stuff. Um, so it, it goes from there. But then also like one thing I think you see in a trailer where because at one point um, Riley's mom, you know, she wears glasses and she's reading and then it's like then she doesn't need her glasses. So like something's there. There's this one girl, uh, like a teenage girl that Warren likes and she's in a wheelchair and we we find out. 
this is spoilers. Well, she accidentally got shot by this drunk dude who's just was messing around, you know, just like whatever. So she, you know, she can't walk. But and, and she goes to church like every day, you know, there's like like three people that go to church, you know, for communion, whatever. And she's just always there. And what one time in a regular service, you know, it's her turn for communion. And Father Paul's like, he's like, you know, pre- presented, you know, this is my body or whatever, you know, whatever. And, and I, 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 I say that a lot when I'm like just kind of like not fooling and I say whatever. I don't mean that in this insulting way. So I'm not trying to, you know, if, if you take like communion, like I'm not trying to insult that or anything. <laughs> whatever. But, you know, so he's presenting communion. And then, you know, so she's like waiting to receive it. And then he like steps back and and people are like, what are you doing, dude? And then so she rolls her wheelchair towards him. And then, then he goes up like the the two or three steps, like, and people are, then they start getting mad, like, like you're being a jerk. It's like, what are you doing? And then she like gets up out of her wheelchair and just like slowly like walks up there, and people are like, they think it's a miracle. They're like, what's going on? And there's also like after this happens, I forget what episode this is. You know, they're all excited and everything like that. And then he kind of excuses himself. He, like, leaves. Beverly, of course, because she's, like, the busybody, whatever. She, like, goes after him. He goes into, like, the little house behind the church where he, he lives or he's staying. And then he, like, he coughs up some blood and stuff like that. So there's, like, stuff going on. And it just, so it's like, wait, is he a good guy? What what is this a good thing? You know, people are getting healed. And, but, yeah. And, and then his connection to Riley because, you know, Riley, one of his conditions is he has to go to AA meetings, you know, and he has to go off the island. But then uh, when Father Paul finds out, he's like, you know, he's like, I can sign off on you, you know, for your parole. He's like, we can start up meetings here and, you know, we can just talk and stuff like that. And that'll save you a trip, whatever. And, you know, like in the beginning, it's just like the two of them. So they're talking and, they're, you know, there's some interaction and, you know, stuff like that. So it's. It's just a, a really good good episode because there's something else, there's something going on, and and then you know we we, we find out like w- wait what really happened to uh, Monsignor Pruitt, you know. So there's just like other stuff happening, so it just gets really, really crazy, and uh, yeah, I really don't want to spoil stuff to happen. I thought about like like okay, if should I talk, should I watch the next when I do watch the next two episodes, which hopefully I will be able to, and then talk about the rest next week. But it kind of doesn't make sense because I really don't want to spoil things. But I really feel like you should watch it. So I don't know if that like 20 minutes, you know, kind of more description in the first kind of couple episodes. It's just, it's it's really cool. I mean, things do get bizarre. You know, it's, it's again, it's not like The Haunting of House Hill or Blime. It's not like a ghost story like that, but there's, there's definitely a supernatural element and things get creepy and, and there's some like shocking things that happen and uh, you know, and you start, you know, caring about the characters and then there's just like stuff that happens. It's just like, Holy crap. So I, I definitely recommend this, this show. You, you should check it out. And you know, seven episodes. I was surprised cause it seems like Netflix's go-to is like eight episodes, but they only went with seven. And I don't know. Cause I think it's, it's listed as season one, but there may not be another, you know, the other, all the other series have only been one season. So I don't know, actually was one getting a sequel or, or second season. I don't know if there's more cause I have, I've, I'm trying to avoid, I don't want to hear anything about the last couple episodes cause I'm really excited about this. So check it out. Midnight mass on Netflix. 
All right, then the movie feature is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And uh, unfortunately, I can't say that I love this movie. I mean, I don't know what it is. Part of it is, you know, I, so I, I think I've, I've mentioned before, I think Tom Hardy is, is an amazing actor. I love him. You know, he, he's just so versatile, like just the different stuff that he does. And he does do a good job with this movie. You know, a, a lot of this, his scenes, he's kind of on his own. You know, he, he's he's talking to himself. You know, he's talking to Venom, but he's really talking to himself or whatever. So, you know, he has to be able to have these conversations. And it's it's kind of funny and goofy. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. But it's almost like it gets too goofy at times. And just Venom, Venom's whole attitude, just the way they kind of go back and forth and, like, some of the things, you know, because Venom just wants to eat brains and so there's like the chemical whatever in brain. So, you know, to, to try to to compensate for that, you know, Eddie's been getting him chocolate and chickens. But, you know, he doesn't want chickens. He wants brains. And and so it's just it gets it's almost like borderline absurdity, absurdity sometimes. And just when, when just like the mess and just the way Venom does everything. And, and sometimes I wonder, it's like, OK, I don't think other people can hear Venom when he's talking, but. I'm assuming they can see him when he like pops out, like in, you know, there's a big venom head next to him. Or is that just for our sake? I don't think it is because, you know, he's reaching out and doing stuff, but like sometimes it's just, it's, it's a bit much. The other problem I have with this, I mean, I think the main problem, well, two, two main problems I have. One is I don't like carnage. I do not care for carnage at all. Um, Woody Harrelson is fine as carnage, but I just, I don't care for the character. And and I don't I don't think it's just because he's a serial killer. I, I don't think it's cool. I don't think he's a cool character. And, you know, it's, it's it would be like saying like, oh, I, I love the Joker. He's my favorite character. You know, it's like, why would you look up to someone who's just so despicable? Whatever. You know, co- comparing Carnage. To Ven- I mean, there's a difference between Carnage and Venom. So, yeah, Venom eats people. But I mean. The thing with Cletus Cassidy is, you know, he was a serial killer before, and I don't, I don't think I'm being like so petty or whatever, just like like oh, the idea of romanticizing a serial killer, and I don't think that that's what it is. But just, I think it's just it's it gets kind of redundant. And then when we have all these other, you know, Shriek and Toxin and just like all of them, it's like it's too much symbiotes. And on top of that. The first movie we had Venom versus Symbiotes. You know, he was fighting the the other dude at the, at the whatever the was it the Life Foundation or whatever. And then in this movie, it's Venom fighting a symbiote again. So it's like it's almost like it's the same thing, except the origin of, of this symbiote is different. So that's my main problem. Um, as far as the story of the movie goes, I mean, it's it's fine. It's you know we we get introduced to Cletus Cassidy. You know, he was at a children's home and he meets uh, Frances Barrison before you know she gets taken away to the Ravencroft Institute. But then on her way there, so she has these abilities and these the sonic screams. It's never really explained how she got them or, you know, it's just the fact that apparently superpowers exist in, in this universe. Which, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, and like in the Marvel Universe or anything, 
I don't know if there's anyone that really has special abilities that aren't explained by some way. Because, you know, we don't have mutants yet. And, uh, you, you know, we, we had the Inhumans, but are the Inhumans canon? Have they happened? You know, we don't know. So it's just kind of weird. Because I, as I watch these movies, you know, I, I try to imagine, okay, this is supposed, this is kind of in the MCU, even though it's not directly, but it sort of is. Unless... You know, because if you think about like the first Venom, there was like no mention of I don't I'm pretty sure there's no mention of like Avengers or anything, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, you always think, well, if all this craziness is happening, wouldn't maybe someone like, hey, we should probably go help them out, do something. You know, I don't know, like what the Avengers jurisdiction is, if they, you know, only stay in New York or whatever. Maybe like No Way Home spider-man is gonna deal like maybe it's gonna open up the multiverse and and, you know maybe venom is in a a different earth where you know maybe there isn't a spider-man or the others but that's something that we can you know worry about when uh no way home comes out so you know we, we see about uh current you know then uh cletus cassidy he gets met oh when uh Francis is being transported. She uses her powers and it causes like the, the police escort, whatever the, the paddy wagon, whatever you want to call it to like crash. And this, uh, this one officer, uh, Mulligan, he, he thinks that she's dead and, you know, he gets injured. What, you know, he, he, I think he, I don't know if he loses all his hearing or just in one ear, he is a, like an officer that comes back later. So then, you know, he he's like always like in, in Eddie's face and stuff like that, which um, is just kind of kind of annoying because he reaches out to Eddie Brock to talk to Cletus Cassidy because he's a serial killer now. And he doesn't want to t- he was refusing to talk to anyone except for him. So he wants him to go because, you know, he could. uh you know, maybe he could explain like where, you know, there's all these missing bodies and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe he'll tell Eddie something, maybe he'll confess or whatever. And, you know, he wants Eddie to tell him his story, you know, or, or something like that. But then, um, so I don't know how much I should spoil. I shouldn't spoil too much, but Eddie somehow finds out, gets some information and they, they do uncover some things. And because of this, Cletus Cassidy's now going to be, put on death row he's gonna get lethal injection and you see this in a trailer when eddie visits him like on on the last day and then and it, it's almost like how could eddie do this how could it allow this to happen but then cletus grabs him like bites bites his hand and takes in some of his blood and that's what creates carnage so it's almost weird in the fact that like it's that easy to create a bunch of other symbiotes because, you know, because he's got, like, blood in his, he's like, well, what's, something's in your blood or whatever, because he can taste it right, right away or he can feel it. And, you know, he, like, takes, like, wipes the blood off his, his mouth and, and there you see, like, the blood starts moving kind of like a little symbiote with, like, spikies or whatever like that. And, and it's weird because later in the movie when Venom sees Carnage, he's like, oh, no, it's, it's a red one. But it's like that, see, it just seems weird because in the comics, if I recall correctly, and I'm trying not to think about it, it's kind of like Venom had a a baby, like an egg, like a thing. It just popped out of him. Like he gave birth to this egg or whatever, and it became carnage. But that's not the case here. It's just like he bit his finger, had ingested his blood, became another um, 
symbiote, but somehow he became a red symbiote, which is a different type of symbiote than Venom. So then it, it, that's where it goes from there. Um, Eddie and, and Venom have a fight and they kind of separate whatever. And it's like, who's going to stop Venom? And then um, Cletus just wants revenge against Eddie because he blames him for things. And so he's going to kidnap Michelle Williams, even though she's engaged to someone else now. And and it, it just kind of goes from there. So, you know, you do get your, you know, your Venom versus Carnage fight. And there's some cool moments. You know, there's, there's some big action scenes and and all this. But as I was watching it, I just I wasn't like on the edge of my seat. I wasn't like super excited. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just just kind of going through watching. It's like, yeah, okay, here we go. And so I don't, you know, I don't think it that it's a bad movie. And um, because I, I think it wasn't it like in the 80s. Let's see if I can find a reception real real quick. Critical response. Um, ooh, it just it seems like it went lower. It's at a, at a 59% based off of 141 reviews. So more reviews came in. So that's not always accurate, whatever. Uh, Metacritic has it at a 47 out of 100. Uh, is that right? Okay, I just looked up on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at a 60% now on 144 reviews. So Wikipedia had listed at 141. So maybe some favorable reviews came in. The audience score, as I record this, is at an 85%. So the audience is enjoying it. So, so that's a good thing. And I'm totally fine with it. You know, this doesn't have to be my movie. I like Venom. I've never been super crazy about him. You know, I... I I like the idea, you know, it, coming from the, the symbiote suit, you know, it does really cool and all that stuff. But then it just, you know, the whole lethal protector thing I thought was a little cheesy. I hated all the other symbiotes. You know, I wasn't crazy about Maximum Carnage and, just, uh, you know, then when Shriek came and all this. Uh, maybe was Shriek not a symbiote? Whatever. I don't even care. And... uh I, I have to admit, yeah, when uh, Donny Cates and, you know, Ryan Stegman, that Venom run, it kind of shook things up and it kind of changed uh, things a little bit. I liked, you know, Flash Thompson as Venom. I liked Agent Venom. I thought that was, it was weird, didn't make sense, but it was something different. And I, I was another, like, evolution, another chapter for Venom. So I thought that was cool. But in general, I'm not the biggest Venom fan. And that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. So I r- really hope, people love this movie or enjoy this movie have a great time and like i said you know tom hardy is funny and is good in the movie but there's just some things that i'm just like eh, whatever and then again the thing is like the connection you know how, how does this fit in with the other marvel movies and and that's the problem that, i mean with this being a sony you know spider-verse movie it's just it's not clear how this fits in. Cause I, you know, before the movie, there was a trailer for Morbius and I kind of haven't really been thinking too much about Morbius because like Morbius doesn't feel like an MCU movie, but as they spoil in the, the Morbius trailer, spoiler, if you have, if you've avoided the Morbius trailer that Michael Keaton is in there. So they're, they're tying Morbius to Michael Keaton's vulture and, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, is there going to be, a, are we going to get a sinister six at some point? And then the other question is, you know, when are they going to meet up with Spider-Man? Because it does seem weird to have a Venom movie with no connection to Spider-Man. And that's like one of the problems I had with the first movie. I totally get and understand why. Because if you wanted to have Tom Holland or, you know, Venom origin, that seems like it'd have to be down the line more. 
And will we ever get a Secret Wars movie? Who knows? And, you know, so there, there's other things that that give tell you know, make give a, a good reason why we're getting these changes. But it's just. I just thought it was a fine movie. I, I, you know, I, I had a good time watching it. You know, I'm, I'm glad I went. I'm glad it was released finally. But I just, it's not like my favorite movie of the year, or like you know, it's not top five. I don't, I don't know how many movies I've seen if it'd be even top ten. But I think people will enjoy it. Now there is a mid credit scene, and I absolutely don't want to um, spoil this. I'm a little confused with what the mid credit scene means. And um, just with, it kind of sets some things up like in a certain timeline, because it almost feels like something somewhere else would cause this to happen, this little change. But yeah, I'm a little confused with, because what Eddie Brock sees seems like it would happen that happened before this change. If you've seen the movie, I hate doing this. I hate tiptoeing around things, but I just, I just have this moral code about spoiling things, and and I don't want to do it. And you know, even if I say cover your ears for the next two minutes, if you're a driver or someone that doesn't have the ability to do that, I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for spoiling something. So, I, yeah, I'm I'm a little. I'm curious to see what what this end credits or mid credit scene is gonna going to mean for, for, for the future or for whatever's next. So that's all I have really have to say about the movie. It was just, it was a little too goofy and it's not that I want like a totally serious, you know, I don't want like a Snyder cut, you know, version of the movie, no way, but it's almost like it was a little too goofy. And, and I guess there's that fine line. Cause you know, if you don't want like a, Oh, like a horror Venom movie because that would just be too extreme. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know really what I want. So that's that's let there be carnage. I'm looking more forward to Eternals, I guess, to see what they're going to do there. But there we go. So if you enjoyed it, I, again, I think that's great. Don't let my um, my thoughts or my feelings, you know, make you wonder like, oh, maybe. I mean, I I doubt you're thinking that anyways, but. It just, it, it wasn't for me. And again, that is totally fine. It doesn't have to be. So I hope there are a lot of people that love this movie. I think that would be great. And the other thing that might be great is that we've reached the end of the podcast. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, last week, I talked about 2013's Evil Dead, the kind of reboot, which is it was it a reboot? You know, if, if you watch the end, it's like, wait, what? Uh, and next week I'm going to talk about another movie that goes further back than 2013. But it's another movie that for some bizarre reason I just never watched. And I really don't have it. I don't know why I never watched it. Uh, there's several reasons why I should have watched it or I should have wanted to watch it. And it just it just never happened. So you can hear about that. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash man from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash man from heck. All right, next week is going to be James Bond, No Time to Die. <laughs> and I, I still think it's funny. 
without the title and what I thought, and I'll, t- I'll talk about that next week. Um, I think I think next week might be the f- season finale of What If. Um, we still have some more Star Girl, and we have more Titans and Doom Patrol, and um, I don't know what else there's gonna be. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm gonna talk. I don't know if I if I'll talk about about the the rest of of Midnight Mass. Because um, again, I don't want to spoil the end, but um, we'll, we'll see. And uh, why more? Why the last man? Um, Legends of, of Tomorrow's. I think that comes back on the thirteenth, which seems like a way faster than the season. It felt like it's the season just ended. But that's going to be it for this week. So I hope you're doing well. And uh, watch Midnight Mass because that, that sh- I really really dig that show. I mean, it's just. Poosh. Um, I hope you're doing fine. I hope everything is going just dandy for you. Make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you take care of those in your life. And make sure you remember to be good to each other. 